Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Manga Recap here on July the 21st of 2021. I am Nick, and I am joined by... Oh, I was asleep too recently to be clever. Hang on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, ooh, I'm waiting to see where this bit goes. It turns out built. nowhere. You see, normally we have a, a dual color deck uh, that uh, we utilize, uh, but today we've had a third color, which means that we're not going to win any matches. Uh, so <laughs> please join us in welcoming Austin to the podcast. It's me, Austin Yorsky. If you're splashing into blue, I feel like you can probably still get some wins. Soltez is really hot right now in standard. The ultimatum cycle is popping. Everyone knows what's up. In one sense, you've just demonstrated to me how good this manga is because <laughs> I understand everything in it so much easier. All right. <laughs> Your facial expression. <laughs> it's like, all right, these terms are too stupid. I, I appreciate every time they're like, and this month, a deck with this stupid name took over the meta. But here's how it works, and because I'll I'll let you know because this is all stupid. So if if it helps, uh, Magic's popularity with its stupid deck names uh, has literally pervaded the entire medium of card games going forward. As oh, de yes. as decks in every other card game are named after also bad deck names in Magic. Patient Zero. Sorry, Yu-Gi-Oh. Sorry, Hearthstone. <laughs> Sorry, Rune Terra, you're owned. <laughs> yeah, take that artifact. <laughs> oh man, don't kick artifact while it's down like that. I'm certainly much less excited to talk about this series. Um... <laughs> <laughs> He's taking psychic damage. He's losing sand points live on air. <sighs> Nick, what understand? What series are we talking about? We are talking about a manga called destroy all of humanity it can't be regenerated or actually i, I believe it's they can't think they, they can't be i don't know unfortunately there is no official english translation available yet uh, the series is officially called subite no jinri wo hakai suru sorewa wa sekai dekinai which just goes to show how weird the language used in Magic the Gathering is. Because Well, so the, the title is specifically a reference to the card Wrath of God, which says destroy all creatures, they can't be regenerated. So the title would be destroy all humanity, destroy all humans, they can't be regenerated, basically. I know what Magic the Gathering terminology is. I know what they can't be regenerated. Give me more credit. We've done it. <laughs> Look. Well, I'm just saying that for people who are curious how to localize it, it's like, oh, yeah, okay. it's just I, I assume you just localize it as the original cards is titled, basically, and you change creatures. So this is, as we've been alluded to, a series that is about the very, very popular, very old uh, trading card game Magic the Gathering, uh, which started in like 1993, I think it was. Uh, and this series uniquely is actually set very specifically in 1998 to 1999 uh, in the real world. This isn't like uh, the way that Yu-Gi-Oh's uh, tie-in series work, where it's a, you know, either pseudo-modern world or a pseudo-futuristic world where, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh is everything that people play. It is... The game is contextualized in the way that it generally would be 
in terms of a bunch of geeks play this game in hobby shops and at uh, organized tournaments. And uh, it is set in the 90s. So there are references to things that were popular in the 90s. There are very, very many Final Fantasy 7 and 8 references <laughs> throughout this this series. G Gundam, Sakura Wars. I, lo- I got like most of them. I was feeling very cool. Or I guess the opposite of I was cool. going to say, you shouldn't, because <laughs> relating to these kids is the dorkiest thing a human being can do. Uh-oh. Yeah. Spo- spoiler warning. This is, this is a manga about me. <laughs> <laughs> so this is uh, done in a way, if you've seen some Yu-Gi-Oh stuff, um, where they're playing the game, but you will occasionally, you will very regularly see, like, the monsters and spells that they cast manifested in, like, uh, the artwork around them as opposed to just they move they move a card on a table uh it's made more visually interesting that way but unlike Yu-Gi-Oh, it's not like oh well it's justified in universe because they have massive holographic projectors no it's just use your imagination yeah. that's that's, that's, what, that's what ha- this is what's happening in the game yeah remember nick the the actual flavor of match to gathering is that we are the planeswalkers summoning these creatures to attack each other and in that flavor, sometimes you're just like, where the fuck is a goddamn tree? I just need one tree and I can cast all my monsters, but I can't fucking find it. They keep hitting me. I'm going to I'm going to equip boots to the snake <laughs> in my imagination. <laughs> it's magic. I don't have to explain how that works. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. This is uh, this is a couple of different things. This is um a, a pseudo sports series in this in, in the exact same way that any series about a board game or card game would be uh, but it is also about being a middle school kid who gets deeply into this world in the 1990s uh, the big thing that really got me about this was so our main character Hakai is this uh at the start of the series, he's like 12 or 13. And uh, he, you know, is just like kind of the top dog at his middle school. He beats everyone at this card game. But then he discovers this hobby shop where uh, the game is regularly played. And almost everyone at the hobby shop is a dorky adult. Uh, and despite this, they very readily take him in and they treat him as one of their own. And uh, it definitely reminded me of doing the exact same thing when I was the exact same age. And I was in the Magic the Gathering. A few friends of mine and I uh, a few times would go on Friday nights to a card shop where they rarely held Magic the Gathering nights. And we would play with both kids our own age. But also there would be, you know, some older guys there, too, who were very nice about the whole thing. And... There's a really great sense of, oh, this would be a nice community to take part in and a nice world to get involved in. And I'm sure that absolutely no one involved in that world is a, is a dickbag. None of them. So. Uh-oh. <laughs> Not only are the people involved in that world dickbags, a lot of people who work on the game are dickbags, too. Oh, boy. Maybe maybe it was better in the 1990s. Uh, probably not. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure the farther back you go, <laughs> the, the better More exclusionary it was. they were towards <laughs> women. And... Oh, gee, there's a there's a card in one of the comedy sets of uh, artist Rebecca Gay being burned at the stake because of the response to her. 
from the audience. Just her art was too feminine, and that's uh, it's a whole thing. I mean, obviously, not the worst crime the community has committed, which which are real crimes like felonies <laughs> and so forth. But yeah, yikes. So this is uh, definitely a celebration of the this game and the community that it is uh, created. Uh-huh. Uh, it, I mean, there are definitely a few jerks featured in the series, but for the most part, they're, you know, anime style jerks where they're just really, really into being the best player. And <laughs> they're like, you're not worth my time playing and all this, this <laughs> the way that. No, wait, some people are like that. I, I was going to say you know, the way that, like, nobody has, like, no, no, there are definitely people who, who play card games regularly that are like that. I'm, I'm not, but um, they aren't nearly, they're not, they're not portrayed as nearly as uh, evil cool as the characters in this series are. And the, beyond that, the third big thing about the series that it kind of is about is um, there is a romance between uh, two of the main characters. Because mm-hmm. when Kano, our protagonist, first goes to this hobby shop, he finds out that Sawatari, who is the class president uh, at his school, uh, she's very serious. Uh, they have this one-sided rivalry because both of them are the top two students in their school, but she always beats him. She's always number one, and he's always number two. Uh, so he sees her at this hobby shop, and uh, he thinks to himself, oh, well, she can't come into my world and beat me at that, too, so I'm going to show her. I'm going to beat her. And uh, they he, that, that things don't work out the way that he wants to. Uh, he loses to her uh and they do unlike uh in i think every Yu-Gi-Oh uh series that i've ever seen they actually do what you're supposed to do in a full match which is go best two of three rounds yes as opposed to Yu-Gi-Oh where you just do one um well it's cuz there's buzz saws that are about to cut off your feet in, in Yu-Gi-Oh <laughs> so you can't like you can't be no, like no, no. all right get back up Glowing blue buzz saws that send you to the shadow realm. Yeah, Come that's on. right. I'm sorry. They fell through that glass ceiling at the top of that vault and fall into the shadow realm. <laughs> I've only ever watched the first couple seasons of Yu-Gi-Oh. Is there ever, as it goes on, any mention of like meta game or sideboard or like uh, sh- no any strategy? Because it was the game was being created at that point still. So okay. I mean, I know that's how it started. It was like, you know, King of Games and a bunch of random games and now, stuff. They were really pulling it out of their ass. But I thought maybe as it went on, it would start to resemble something like uh, closer to card games. It's always been a matter of we want the audience to just be interested in this game. Um, but there has been very, very, very little connection between like, yeah, what you say, the metagame uh, and uh, the promotional material that they make for the show. I think that the closest that it ever got to was uh, in Yu-Gi-Oh! GX, they mentioned Chaos Emperor Dragon was so powerful that it got banned. But they don't okay. mention that. But in the exact same series, everyone's playing Pot of Greed in every single duel. <laughs> so <laughs> Why wouldn't you? It's like, mathematically correct to play Pot of Greed. Every there's deck no should have it. There's, there's no, no reason not to. Not to play Pot of Greed. <laughs> unless, you, unless you're trying to deck your opponent out. But anyway. Um, so... Uh, but yeah, there are a lot of mentions in this series of, of the metagame. You're right. Uh, it's completely different. But as time goes onward, the whole Magic the Gathering thing really becomes like 
just what's going on generally and more of the important plot beats have to do with how Kano and Sawatari's relationship is changing as very, very shortly after they have their first match with each other, they strike up a friendship over their shared interest. And then as they're doing more stuff together, they're going to the card shop together. Uh, he's constantly riding her to, to there and then back home on his bike. Uh, and uh, they're opening packs together. They're excited to see each other after school. They start going to events together, and gradually both of them start to develop a crush on each other. Uh, and somehow more girls start to fall for Kano, which I don't know if I buy, but I guess he's okay for the most part. So I don't know. <laughs> I mean, with all the bike riding, he's getting a little jacked. So like I said, this is basically, uh, this is about my life and how I was at this time okay. playing cards and doing, uh, getting into way too many relationships. I shouldn't have. And I hope it doesn't go the same way. This series is ongoing. Chapter 31, I think is where it stops. And I immediately messaged Chris. I was like, where's the rest of it? Please. <laughs> I need more. Uh, because how it went in my life is I slept with all of them and that was not the right answer. <laughs> and I hope he does better than I, because it doesn't work out, bud. He's 13, so I hope he's not. <laughs> I, I was 14. <laughs> okay. It really is. If you squint hard enough, you can see Austin in some of the backgrounds of panels. I'm just creeping around. Yeah. Also, this is a this is a little before my time. It's a plot point that sixth edition comes out because that's when they take damage on the stack out of the rules. I was playing at seventh edition, so it was a there little after this. So I guess he's older than me. Uh, <laughs> so this is... This is a very interesting series in that it is I, I selected it partially because it was tagged as a sports series, which in a way it sort of is if you squint and kind of turn your head sideways a little bit. I would say you could you could say like a card game series is a sports manga. Sure. Uh, and this is a series where sport uh, the sport in question is used to solve essentially every problem in the series yes. thus far. Uh, if there is a conflict, it is resolved in a best of three duel at some point. I'm fully expecting at some point Emmy's mom says, you can't play anymore unless you beat me. And she slaps down her fucking mono red aggro deck and just fucking wipes the floor with her or something like that. So she's like a high powered business person. She has like preview access to Mirrodin. She has. Like, oh, oh, God, it's, it's she has skull clamp. She's going to fuck your entire day. Off. Oh, you can't beat that. <laughs> the card was broken. <laughs> impossible god i hope that's how it ends <laughs> or she builds decks like i did back in the day and was just like i'll find a way to work make this work i'll use mirari's wake to power up my gitu fire in my rainbow deck <laughs> <laughs> i love all these these name drops this was so satisfying to read because it was clearly from someone who did the research or lived through this all, all those stuff like just the little things every time i thought i'd outsmart the manga where they're like oh yeah suicide black is real strong right now and i was like man he should play a slide deck and then someone would roll up and be like yeah i'm playing a slide deck I'm like fuck <laughs> i thought it was clever the manga is just as good as me damn it <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of references to, from what I understand, are just things that actually happened in specifically the times that they occurred in because Magic the Gathering fans are crazy and they just remember all of this stuff. <laughs> uh, I was talking about this with some friends uh, while I was reading it and I mentioned like, yeah, so he's you know talking about how like, you know, uh, you know how they're talking about how like strong mono black was at this time and then how weak it got. And uh, so my friend's like, oh, yeah, because uh, at the t 
at the time, like uh, that was like you know combo winter uh, that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's what they said happened <laughs> when they name drop combo winter. I went off. Uh, I'm sure there's a wrestling term for that popping. Yeah, you <laughs> you popped big. They got a big pop I'm... out of you. I pop big for combo winter. All this stuff is like, it's, it's such a part of the history of the game. It's like, you're both football fans. You know, when someone will talk about like all oh, the undefeated Dolphins season, and you're like, neither of us are alive. <laughs> We're alive at that time. How are you nostalgic for that? That's how like magic fans feel about this time period. It's like, oh man, Urzo's was so broken. Can you imagine if we played back then? Yeah, it, it's, it's funny. I, I do not have any nostalgia for this particular time of Magic because I did not play at this point. I think I started playing when, like, the duels of the Planeswalker game started coming out on, like, the Xbox. So, like, a, a good long while from this point. 15 um, years after or something, yeah. But, but now working in a card store and playing regular Commander matches, there are a lot of cards that I see that I'm like, I know that card. I hate it. Or, like, they'll come out <laughs> with a deck and I'll just be like, I know what that eventually became or things like that. And I think the the one moment that I had the, 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 the biggest sense of, like, oh, they nailed this is when uh, Hajime first plays turbo genius which is like a a combo deck that aims to take one very very long turn to eventually kill you by making you draw your entire deck by just you know discarding cards and comboing off and the way they display it in the manga is like hajime is watching infinity stretch away from him and he's just like this these turns are taking so he's still going he's this incredible this is turbo genius and it's portrayed as this big terrifying thing and then they cut to like the next like chapter and it's people in the store and they're like yeah everyone's playing turbo genius right now and someone starts going off and his opponent's like wake me up when you're fucking done yeah. <laughs> like, and that's exactly how the combo decks like the first time you watch it like this is incredible this this the, the machinations at work here like a finely tuned watch every gear clicking just so perfectly or it'll fall apart and then the second time you're like i'm gonna take a piss just yell if i'm dead yeah there's a lot of and people the- like good luck playing solitaire and all this <laughs> yeah. stuff and the so company there's... learned from this, and they never did it again. They never printed Nexus of Fate. <laughs> and we ban- and so we're banning this card, you know, two months after it's been published, or something like that, or even less. Yeah, that was uh, uh, unfortunately the last year. Magic was pretty much that in entirety. Oh, I think they, God. I think they've ended up banning more cards in the past year than they've ever banned in a single year of Magic history before. This is a great time to record this because right yeah, the entire game is on fire right now because of Corona <laughs> Bell Drain. They've just completely yeah, nuked their entire shit. <laughs> it's not a great time to be playing. That's okay. When you now that Yu-Gi-Oh is at the point where everyone's turn lasts forever, they're just like, good, we'll just make more cars that allow that to happen. <laughs> yeah, you just pick get to pick which style. Do you want to play a bunch of like pop star mermaids that do it, or would you like to be a bunch of desks that turn into school supplies that also do it? Either way, you're going to be summoning 10 monsters in one turn, and at the end of it, your opponent won't be able to do anything, because this is a great game where you you just allow your opponent to not play. This is the best way we could have possibly designed this. Remember back in the day where we didn't have monsters with effects? <laughs> when you summoned, like, a 1,200, 800 monster, and your opponent was like, how am I going to deal with this? <laughs> Oh, thank God, I drew the one card that I can summon right now that's got 1250 attack. Oh, thank it's goodness. so rare. I drew a card that says destroy all horned beast monsters. This this series should keep going until it power creeps to the point where all of these cards are bad. Where there's like, you would never play like a Sangrophage or anything. That's, uh. the, that's the inevitable end of this series. I want more of it. I'm so, I'm jonesing. 
I'm like Chappelle in that. If you got any more crack sketch? <laughs> well, I think that is definitely the main appeal of the series is that it, it very uniquely captures something that a sizable but uh, still uh, niche community is very passionate passionate about uh, in a way that is faithful to actual events and how things unfolded. Literally before I read this, I don't think that I ever read a slice of life series that ever made me feel like this made me feel, mm. which was nostalgic for a very particular thing that I rarely feel nostalgic for. Uh, you know, so often when you read something like this, like, and then they were into school together and they did club things at their club. And I know that there's a lot of things where because everyone in Japan very many people have that exact experience, but I've never read, you know, like a, a manga series that was about the math club. So <laughs> if, you know, I feel like it really depends on like having, you know, that unique feet quality that appeals to you in a very, very specific way. And this one definitely captured that for me. But beyond that, I also really like the characters in this this is also a funny series with uh, a lot of really small side characters that are kind of instantly memorable because uh, a lot of the minor supporting characters, uh, a lot of the ones featured at the hobby shop, uh, are very much meant to be reflections of things in Magic the Gathering. Uh, so even Kano himself, uh, he plays Mono Black and... He's talking about why he likes playing black, which is like it's about death and having dominion over death and being an awesome necromancer. And a little narration box pops up next to him that says, "In 1998, the term Chunibyo had not been <laughs> coined yet." But just to let you know, like this is the kind of kid that he is. But honestly, a lot of people were like this when you know they were 12 or 13. So you know, it, it whatever. Ha it has to be stressed that the kids in this series, particularly Kano, are the dorkiest kids that have ever existed and it's charming and also cringy at times because there is a point the 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 main characters oh, are we going to talk, talk about the duel <laughs> the main character's screen name or user like his dual name or whatever is cross cloud cross like the actual like cross symbols or whatever and he proceeds to have a duel with an opponent who named themselves One Winged Angel. And it's supposed to be this big dramatic duel that halfway through it's revealed like, oh, it's it, it's, it was your best friend all along. And he's just like, I have to beat you. And they're also fighting over permission to date a girl, which is like a weird thing. But they're fucking 13 year old loser boys. So I, I understand in their heads they thought it made sense. And. He starts beating him and he has like a moment. He's like, no, what I'm really angry about is because you're calling yourself one winged angel. You're not a one winged angel. You're my Zach. And you're like, holy shit. You are the lamest kid in existence. You are the dorkiest human being to ever exist. <laughs> and like the chapter after that, he's in an intense duel and he's on the backswing, and when he d starts doing his turnabout, he quotes Final Fantasy VI and gives a big speech. And you're like, I I have been in rooms where where children <laughs> do this in in card games, and they don't have the imagery and shit behind them to help sell the moment. <laughs> you're like, holy shit, you're so lame. You're such a loser. 
doing this series without the cringe would have been dishonest. Yes. I feel like we had to do it. This is one of the most sincere manga you will ever read. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is largely from Kano's pers- perspective, but it does not in any way try to, like, and then I did this thing that, that sounded really cool. It's like, oh, no. What did you say? Well, uh, I called I called him Zach because he's not my rival. He's my friend. <laughs> and it was really cool. <laughs> you say it's from his perspective. Should we talk about the framing device? Because this is the one thing that with the truncated length, like I didn't find satisfying is that it opens up with like them talking about Nostradamus and yes. prophecy and stuff. And then there's like later a kind of flash forward to the love interest as an adult. And it's like none of that has paid off so far. So it's like... I, I mean, maybe it'll make sense at the end, but so far I'm like, I just want the nostalgic cringe stuff. I don't need, I don't need a meteor to come down. I don't know why you would do that. What are you doing? <laughs> well, it's, it, it's, I think it was very specifically one of those things that was like back in spe- very specifically 1998 and 1999, people were talking about, you know, this thing, you know, not quite in the same, in the same uh, scope that people talked about uh, the millennium bug or anything like that. But there was a big thing like, oh, yeah, the world's supposed to end. I mean, you know, people remember like 2012, the world was supposed to end. Um, and so I guess that was the thing that had traction. I don't remember that very specifically. I was, I guess, a little bit too young to hear people at school talking about how the world was going to end in fire because some guy a hundred years ago said it would. Um, but, uh, there is a lot of, you know, it's 90s for the sake of 90s uh, stuff that happens. Uh, there's a thing where, like, some, you know, just little things that are just happening, like uh, a guy who uh, is acting as Segata Sanjiro in the background, uh, that that kind of thing. So I think that that's just really it, is that, yeah, people kind of thought that the world was going to end back then. A lot of people didn't take it super seriously, but people were at least still ta- uh, at least talking about it. You don't foresee, uh, like, a twist where, like, Hajime, like, I don't know, dies in some kind of accident, and that's kind of, like, their... Because it ties into Wrath of God, the magic heart, and also the meteor from Final Fantasy VII. Like, all of the prophecy talk is, like, thematically co- cohesive. But if it if it materializes in a plot point, I feel like it's going to be a letdown. There's no world where I want to see, like, her as an adult mourning her childhood friend who, like, died t- tragically. Like, that's not what I'm here for. Well, you have to understand, Austin, this was this is part of the same duo that did a series about masturbating in the bathroom and I think eating your own semen that ended up having, what like, a very fuck? that ended up having a very remote, like, emotional, romantic conclusion yes. to it. It's actually honestly, yes. Onani Master Kurosawa, which is about a guy who jacks off in his school's bathroom regularly. Uh, that is That is the premise. Is um actually really good (laughs) so i I, I, it's in my mind that that we're gonna go off in a weird direction at some point but i don't know when essentially it also could be that that was the hook for this series and it's just gonna downplay that as it goes forward but this is japan so the main character does have like a 90 percent chance to get hit by a truck at some point in this series and get killed so it could happen you know they're gonna, he's going to get isekai into the actual world of magic, and he's going to meet Gideon and Nissa and Chandra. <laughs> Truck coon, thank you. I always wanted to meet Liliana. They do say in the in the in that flash forward scene, they do establish that yeah, Sawatari is an adult 
Uh, and she mentions to herself while she's looking at this photograph of her and Kano after they had their first match, uh, which was the moment that they basically became friends. She thinks to herself, you meant so much to me back then. And the world didn't end because of a giant meteor or whatever. I'm still here and you're not. So I don't know if that's going to turn out to be like, yeah, they just got older and they went their separate ways. Or if he died or if she's literally saying like, because you're at a business meeting right now. Yeah, you're physically (laughs) not in my house right now where we normally live together because we got married. No, she, he moved to France to be with the, that French lady who shows up near They're the end. They're not even love interests. <laughs> no, that's that's why she says you're not here anymore because he's in France. There's no. I would have said American if there was an American character, but uh, let's, not let's yet. talk about the not let's yet. Talk about the love stuff though, because th- I think this is also kind of a weak element. Maybe I don't know. I'm jaded to the whole thing, but having the Sundere like above you love interest, and then the actual girl who actually likes you, who you ignore for the person who is Sundere is. Very tiring. I'm t- I'm tired. I'm so old and I'm so tired of it. Uh, I honestly, I, I don't mind it if only because I kind of do enjoy seeing uh, Hajime and Emmy together. Um, other girl is just the thing who's there. I, I find her character sweet. It does make me sad that she goes all through all this effort to basically be like, I like you because she really breaks out yeah. of her shell to do it. So I, I definitely admire that. But it is something where I'm just like, look, I don't have the time to care about all you women. I don't like I don't. Oh my there's God. there's way too, there's way too many that are interested in this loser kid. Basically, there's only so, two. lose a little bit there. She says she, says she has a crush on someone else. Another loser. All right. It's a harem in a way. Yeah, he's going to get one for every color of magic. Exactly. <laughs> I really kind of expected that to happen. So Yeah, he, he has the, the the mono white player and the mono black player. So And she's he's... mono blue. It's listen, it's, it's a good premise together. for a story, honestly. And, and <laughs> mono red that means Gabu's going to join the harem. Mono red will be the the uber aggressive girl. No, it's uh, going to be Gabo. God damn it! The goblin player at the the Gabusan is is like the greatest character in this series. He's just a guy who wears a cardigan sweater and a and a and a newsboy hat cap, and he looks kind of like a goblin because he's got pointy ears and a weird nose, and he's just really nice. And that's his character. He's He's great. He's going to be so psyched when Muxus gets released. God, I just want to see his face when he sees Muxus. He's what a great day for him. Goblins are so good. To give to do to do uh okay, so to, to finish the one conversation then branch off to the other. I kind of am back and forth on Yakumo, the other girl who has a crush on Kano. I think that she is okay at certain times, but I don't know. I'm a little bit tired of just that kind of She's here to be very earnest about her feelings and get and not and not end up with him at the end kind of thing. I did really appreciate that it wasn't too deep into the series before she took him aside and was like, I like you. And he's like, oh, I don't know if I heard what you said. I like you. I am romantically interested in you and would like to go on a date. Okay, I guess he has to deal with it now. Just just get all that all the BS out of the way. I really appreciated that. Um, and now it's just like, okay, he actually has to deal with, you know, there's the girl he has feelings for. He doesn't know that she has feelings back for him. There's this girl who has feelings for him and he has to deal with that situation as opposed to the way that all romantic comedies and manga are where 
someone just doesn't everyone doesn't know how they how everyone else feels about them so um but to talk about the people that are actually at the card shop uh i love that there is a really weird mix of personalities there gobusan is just really nice there is uh, the long-haired dude who plays Artifact Dex, that, whose name escapes me at the moment, but he's just, he's kind of an asshole to everyone. But yeah. He, oh, creepy, but, creepy guy. The guy who's like, hey, we're doing a mixer. Hey, 13-year-old girl, we need more women at this event. Would you like to join us? Like, I'm sorry, sir. Fucking excuse me. And then she gets yeah. jealous when a girl hits on Kano, and then it turns out that girl is an adult because she becomes their teacher in the next school grade. That's one of those They're... chapters I like erase from my memory. Like I just like I, I push on like one ear and the memory just pops out the other because the implications of that chapter are very disturbing when you think about them. There needs to be there... some chaperones for these children around these adults. This is not gonna end well. There are two problems that I have with this series. One is that, that we just went over. And two is that Emmy uh, gets sexualized just too much. Like, uh-huh. it's, uh, she's, you know, very often made as, like, the cover girl of a chapter. And she'll show up in, like, a not outrageous, at least, bikini. Or she'll, you know, be wearing a dress and stuff. And the implication is very much meant to be that she is sexually attractive and she's 13. It doesn't go overboard by like, you know, look at her, look at her ass or anything like that. But it is you are meant to see her as specifically physically attractive. And I'm sure that, you know, if this is like being if this is being read by, you know, like teenagers and stuff, it's like there are way, way more gratuitous things probably running in the exact same magazine. But <laughs> which one does Eden Zero run in? I was literally about to say I, I was a little put off, and then I started reading the other chapters for the week, and I was like, actually, it was fine. <laughs> I've, I've seen, I've looked into the Ark of the Covenant with Eden Zero and uh, Ayakashi's Triangle. I was like, no, th- it was a hundred percent. You weren't fine. supposed to read Ayakashi Triangle. Um... I was just curious. I was curious about the shows you guys, <laughs> the, the stuff you guys talk about. I'm trying to relate to my friends. <laughs> well, was it horny? It was so horny. It was so. Oh my god. I want. <laughs> I don't know what there was just full breasts. There was just Barbie. It was like Barbie doll nudity. Anyway, that's a different topic. I didn't know you could get away with that in Shonen Jump, I guess is what I wanted to say. Oh, you wow. can just show it. Monthly Shonen Ace is the same ser- is the same magazine that Samurai Champloo and uh, Grenadier and Girls Bravo ran in. And I'm pretty sure all of those are more explicit than this. There so, you go. Oh, um, boy. But anyway. Uh, so that those things are the things that kept me from going, oh, S plus ranked series two, A plus ranked series uh, <laughs> for me. So, um, I think that my favorite character who is at featured at the card shop is the uh, owner's wife mm-hmm. uh, because she's just so nice. And yeah. she, she but she is when like when you first see her you just just kind of think it's like oh she's just how did this guy end up with this really hot woman and then it turns out oh no like of course they got together because they're both really dorky people who have a lot of shared interests and have the same general very positive attitude towards others so of course they they they're a perfect fit for each other it's just you know one of those jokes of like look at the look at the schlubby ugly dude and his banging wife you know how did that happen? It's like well if you get to know them you'll know why. So it's like the Kevin James sitcom trope of like the weird schlubby guy and the inexplicably hot wife. But as as the person in the magic group who does have the inexplicably hot partner, <laughs> I gotta say it really it spoke to me. <laughs> it really is. It really is the manga about you, the Austin it manga. Is. 
I am embodied in many of the characters. <laughs> but yeah, this is obviously like S plus for me. This ruled. I was I loved this very much, even if there was a couple of anime tropes like the romance stuff that like I didn't love love. But like every chapter is something to talk about. Like, oh man, do you remember this card? Oh, this would suck now. Like, oh, I wish I could play it at this. Oh my god, there was a part where they traded a cataclysm for a hatred and a, a fucking a city of traitors. Oh my god, Cataclysm is five dollars. City of Traders is three hundred, and Hatred is a hundred dollars. That oh, oh my, I've screamed. I had to go for a walk. <laughs> I love the part where he trades over his copy of Memory Jar to the artifact dude, and is just like, I mean, I don't really see, you know, why you think this is gonna be good. And then mm-hmm. I found out what the card did. And was like, how do you not see how the card is good? <laughs> I, I I will say this. There are quite a few people who were reading this manga along with us, and I have come to realize from their talk, if you do not know Magic the Gathering, this manga is incomprehensible to you. At no point do they ever try to explain the game. They they, they give like a cursory, like we're all planeswalkers and everything like that, but there is no time to really stop and like figure things out. If you can't read Japanese, you will not read what the cards do, so you have to look that up separately on its own thing. Um, there's because there's no localization. I'm sure that if this got uh, like an official English translation, if Wizards of the Coast realized this would probably be very good for them to publish in English, then I'm sure that that all that would be taken care of. But yeah. yeah. Uh, Now, that said, and on the topic you bring up, uh, I have sincere doubts that this series will ever get localized because Wizards is weirdly very protective of their IP recently because they're about to get into the big boy business of having shows based on their characters. And Mm -hmm. they are all about cross-branding. And this is old magic. It doesn't feature any of those cool characters like Jason, Gideon, and Chandra. So why are the Stranger Things kids? Yeah. (laughs) Come on. The Stranger Things kids get cards. That's real. I didn't make that up. (laughs) No, you're, you're very right on that. So I don't know if this series will get localized it very well could um but it seems very unlikely to me at the moment which is a shame because this is i think a very fun series even if you don't know magic i think you could still follow along in a similar way that you would when you were following old school Yu-Gi-Oh. you don't really need to know what the card does the characters pretty much explain it oh no i played regeki and all my creatures seem to have died what does the card do who the fuck knows i don't you'll, you'll find out later we'll, we'll do it later or whatever <laughs> look it up yourself <laughs> asshole yeah if you've ever read a if you've ever read any Yu-Gi-Oh manga series it is horrible at, sh- at telling you what is going on in the actual game. Yeah. It is basically like you say, it's like I play a card and a thing happens and then you just kind of have to watch the numbers go up and down and that's it. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll note that out there. There are some people out there who this might be a kind of hard series to get into. If you're like, I desperately need to know what's actually happening turn by turn. Like you're going to have to spend a lot of time looking up cards and things like that. But that said, you're in for a fun ride, no matter what. Like, I, I feel like it's hard to not be endeared to these these dorky characters and just the fun duels they have and how every problem you, they go and run into is solved via having another duel with somebody. There's currently a drama right now with uh, whether or not Hajime and M.A. are kind of on the rocks because they're not like fully out with like being a couple and they're at a tournament and I guarantee they're going to play each other at some point and that's going to be the <laughs> duel that decides where their relationship goes because that's just the kind of series this is. Yeah. 
there'll be all there'll be like I don't know some sort of visualization of a zombie and an angel staring longingly at each other or something like that. Yeah. The, the climactic duel should be like, if I, if I win, then we're a couple. And so the other person only plays like draft chaff commons. So they get pulverized. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of romantic that way. I threw the game for our love. Sounds bullshit to me, actually. <laughs> Nick, you're not romantic. You don't understand. Uh, okay, sure. <laughs> Oh, boy, that was fun. All right. Well, you want to get moving on then to the recap? I think that we should because, uh, yeah, we kind of got a late start, so we should get the let out. Uh, Fortunately, we're not talking about literally everything that came out in Shonen Jump uh, this week. Um, There are a couple of things I'll just make brief mention of now. There was another Shokugeki no Sanji chapter which was honestly probably the least noteworthy, but it was a sweet little thing about uh, Sanji just helping out the people who were supposed to be throwing them a celebration dinner for after they uh, saved. Uh, was it was it Barati? Was that the name of the country or Alabasta? I think I Alabasta. saw a picture of Vivi somewhere, yeah. so I just assumed it's about yeah. Alabasta. And there was like no service fan service in it for once, which was crazy. <laughs> so uh, the other thing, much more noteworthy, was uh, by uh, it was a one shot by Tatsumi Fujimoto, the mangaka of Chainsaw Man, called Look Back, which was this gargantuan one chapter one shot that is basically the length of a full volume um you should read it it's not it's not just good it's like it's it says a lot about creative processes and grief and um it says things in a way that are very specifically meant to be read in a manga and honestly i was I'm kind of grateful that we're not going to be talking about it because there are certain aspects of it that I don't feel like we could do justice by talking about them because of the visual nature of the way that they're conveyed. Uh, so go read that if you haven't already. Right. That done. But Nick, what but, manga are we going to talk about? We're going to start off with My Hero Academia, oh. chapter number 300. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I just wanted to be mean. <laughs> Chapter number 320, Deku versus Class A. Oh, no, it's the thing that we knew was going to happen at the end of last chapter where Deku doesn't want to talk and he's smelly and the entire <laughs> class is like, take a bath. <laughs> it's the best part is a character actually calls him out on being stinky. It's, it's the only part I really love. <laughs> you two seem so down on this, listening to the show like over the past couple of weeks. I, to me, I was just like, yeah, I can't wait till he gets his ass whooped. This is going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> and it happened. I don't know. I liked it. I've been more positive on this than than Chris has. But I, I mean, I've been more more positive on the series overall. So than I have on this specifically. Also, Coda has a has a has a big close up on, on, on this. And I was like, whatever. And Ojiro, too. And I was like, all right, I get it. You're featuring everyone. That's fine. Um, everybody's here like smash. So we, we start off. Deku has told everyone, don't try and stop me. And, and I don't know if he just hasn't drunk water in a while, but like his speech bubbles keep on, you know, being drawn differently with distorted, you know, outlines and stuff. So I'm guessing he sounds different. <laughs> um, well, Bakugo even could... points it out. He's like, yeah. you look drawn differently than the rest of us. And I was like, I was like, right. well, you're just gonna say it. So I was I, like, I, not really the series that usually pokes fun at yourself like this, but all right. 
This yeah, is very I, I, controversial in your Discord. People had a lot of feelings about this line. Was it was it translated accurately? Is it appropriate? Everyone had feelings. What do you feel, Austin? I, I you guys have had this conversation before about people saying like you're the main character. Like, I'm a side character in this story. And it's like, listen, nerds do say stuff like that sometimes. But also, I'm trying to, like, get immersed in the fiction. So you're really kind of taking me out of it. And so, like, I don't know if this is accurate. I don't speak Japanese. But I I, I don't, I wouldn't have made this choice as an author is all I'll say. I don't know if it was right for other people. But I, it didn't do it for me. Bakugo in particular has been kind of the one to say, you know, like, you know, you're just a supporting cast member. Get out of my way kind of thing, because, you know, he's he's like that. He's very extra, but he's also secretly a, not not secretly. He is very obviously a massive dork. He just covers it up with aggression. Um, but there is a difference between saying you're just a supporting character to someone in casual conversation and you look like you're drawn differently than the rest of us. Like. How would you even say that in a world where you live with people who are that who look like animal human hybrids? Like, <laughs> yeah, there are people that are drawn differently in the series. So that's but that's just the world you're supposed to live in. So I, I don't know. It's, it's the very specific quality of the line is, is odd to me. So I, I, I can see both sides of it. I just wish the character who was actually Deadpool was here to have said the Deadpool line, but he's but not. He's dead. Well, I'm trying not to spoil it since Austin watches the anime. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. I listened to this. I listened to your show. I know. I've heard all the spoilers. Okay. okay. Uh, Deku tries to run away by summoning a smoke screen, and Bakugo is just like, whatever, and just blows it away with an explosion. Uh, and uh, he then says, oh, now that you're a super powerful big shot, are we just a bunch of NPCs to you? He's like, yeah, see, he says stuff like that all the time. That's 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 fine. Uh, Koda summons a bunch of birds in order to try and stop Deku. And he's like, hey, they said you could come back to school. You, you, you could you could come back. It's OK to stop running away. Saro then does a thing that I didn't know was going to work, which was he uses his tape to snag one of the black whips that is coming out of Deku's back showing that they are actually attached to him and can be manipulated by his opponents, uh, which we haven't seen to this point. And uh, he brings up like, hey, or he doesn't even bring it up, but Deku flashes back to how Saro helped him to train to master Black Whip uh, back when he was still at, at 1A, and he thinks about that. And from there, we just get this sequence of a bunch of different characters trying to appeal to Deku and be like, hey, come on, come back. We care about you. Uh, come back to the school with us or let us come with you, you know, stop trying to separate yourself from us just to protect us all because you need help too. Uh, so Jiro tries to help, help him out. And she brings up, Hey, you remember when you helped me organize my notes, that really meant a lot to me. I appreciate it so much. Even if it was, it seemed like a small gesture to you. Ojiro brings up, Hey, remember when you got mad on my behalf when Shinso brainwashed me? And then you, you remember I was, <laughs> Important. I I love this because in universe I understand in universe it's only been like a year it's actually a relatively recent event for them but in the terms of the manga this was like five fucking years ago and it's just one step away from Obro being like remember that time you passed me in the hallway and you called me hey you said hey Obro and I was like that's not my name but <laughs> you got close it meant a lot to me it meant let a me just, lot to me Deku let me just dig through here I, I'll find it hang on let me find the important moment between us. Oh, it's all the way at the bottom. 
Remember that time we both went up to the buffet at the same time? We both time we both got chicken and you were like, looks good. And I was like, sure it does. Ateku, come back! That is literally how I ran into Tim Tebow one time when I was going this feels like no we were at the same class no we went we, we go to school together come on man <laughs> so long ago. oh so but deku says no if i'm close to you guys all for one will take you all away from me so i had to leave and he's thinking about how during the fight that he had against shigaraki aizawa cut off his own leg so that he wouldn't die and and Bakugo got hurt. So, you know, understandable. Those are quite recent events to, to hone in on. And also there was the whole thing where, you know, they tried to find all for one and he set off a bomb that hurt no one. So <laughs> no, the bomb was uh, terrifying. Remember when all the characters talked about it next week? They're like, man, sure, sure he's glad we all escaped from that bomb. Uh, Tokuyami gets into it. Sato says, we don't really have an established relationship, but I care about you because I'm a good friend and I will not give you food dye for Aries candy apples. You don't come back. It's a good buddy pointing out the whole, I cook food and bake and bake goodies thing that he does. That is kind of his one quality as a character. Um, they then they end up knocking Deku into a corner, and there is this weird device that Yayorozu has summoned up. She's, I guess, got some much more creative means of dealing with people because she has a clamp and a helmet that will force someone to go to sleep. I guess you could just do that. I know that there's like a thing. Like there is, there are like devices that are somewhat like this. Yeah, it's like but a, it's like a, a crowbar. You hit someone in the back of the head with it, they go right out. It's a little bit of a... Okay, it's fine, but he starts... It's the Green to touch... Lantern problem. When you can make anything, you can kind of paint it yourself into a weird corner. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, never actually, I've never thought of that, but yeah, that is kind of Momo's thing, is that she can, do, she can create basically anything. So, yes. Um, so, she gets into it. Kaminari gets in there as he keeps on struggling and it's like, you really need you know, you you are we don't have much in common, honestly, but you're my buddy and I can't use my power on you because that will be a little too violent because we're trying to talk you down as opposed to let's shock him and then talk to him when he wakes up later. <laughs> um, Shoji gets involved. Tokuyami tries to wrap Dark Shadow around, around Deku like this big shell. And he says, repurposing Dark Shadow's offense in service of defense was a concept birthed by you, Midoriya. Okay, that's nice. Okay. Remember when we were at the sports festival? Yeah, that's that's going dig, dig back. Look, Tokoyami, you're more important than Noachiro. You don't need to dig <laughs> this back. <laughs> uh, and then Kaminari's like, you need a bath, <laughs> The best moment. You're stinky. You smell deck. You take a bath. Come back to the hero school. You don't have to worry about protecting us. It's okay. We're your friends and we're strong. We're here to protect you. Also, really, take a bath. <laughs> Would you have liked this chapter more if they had all showed up with like scrub brushes and soap and the whole fight was them just mercilessly scrubbing him? 
that one uh, episode of Powerpuff Girls where Buttercup really needs to take a bath. <laughs> yeah, exactly like that. Yeah, I, if if just I would be even happier if just one character was holding their nose while they talked to him because they're just <laughs> like, Matt Deco, we've shared so many memories together, but oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, so they've got all these things they're trying to hold him down, but Deku still breaks out of it. And he keeps on trying to run away, and he's just saying to himself, oh, I get it. I get you're all worried about me. Uh, but I, And the reason I know that deep down is because my danger sense isn't going off. I know that you guys aren't maliciously attacking me. You're all doing this because you care about me. Except for Bakugo. I'm getting mixed feelings from him right now. But, uh, <laughs> so, but he tries to get away. He's like, just leave me alone. And uh, Todoroki summons a giant wall of ice in front of him that he just runs into. <laughs> which is kind of great. And Todoroki says, uh, you know, you seem like you've got a really heavy burden on your shoulders right now so much that you can't even let yourself cry, which seems like a burden you should share with the rest of us. All right, Todoroki, we know you're the cool character, but you don't have to rub it in our faces. <laughs> uh, and then Suyu speaks up and she's there and she brings up the time that, you know, she tried to, tell everyone not to go and save Bakugo and then she cried about it afterward and stuff and she says uh, look you you matter to me you're my friend and when you're when we're, we're scared we tremble together when times are tough we cry together so if you're dead set on being some comic book superhero then class A won't let you live that fantasy alone she doesn't do anything while she says this she's just hanging on the wall but this is that's the moment that the chapter ends on is just on her just saying this line which is why I guess the cover uh, color page at the very beginning was of her was that the chapter is actually about Suyu, even though she only shows up at the very, very end. But she does have the biggest line in it. So, Well, she was the one who's making the charisma check to get him out of this. Yes. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Everyone else important. is setting up the advantage for her. She gets a massive uh, plus to charisma when she's talking to fans on the Internet, though. So Yeah. yeah. They like that frog butt. Listen, when you go to see Batman v Superman, you know that's not really what the movie's about. And but you you want to see them fight a little bit, and some people like that, some people don't. I think it's fine to see the heroes fight each other, even if you know there's no real like stakes. They're not gonna kill each other, right? It's yeah, it's fine for what it is. I yeah. I, I I enjoy this look at class 1a and there's a couple moments that get brought up that's like all right these are nice touches it is interesting you give a focus to characters like Odra who legitimately have not really shared a particularly mm -hmm. strong moment with the main character at any point in this like 400 chapter series but you know you, you wanted to do it i'm curious to see if they give Mineta a scene and he's just like deku let's go peep into some showers together or something like that like uh or it's gonna be so I'm trying to think of the characters that didn't get featured in this, because when when I was start, started reading through this, I was like, oh, it's like basically one character a page is being featured in this. I wonder if they're just going to get through literally everyone in the class by the end. But Uraraka hasn't and Nita hasn't. And they're, you know, Deku's two closest friends, so they're probably going to get stuff at the end. But also there are minor characters. Yeah, like Nita and like Hagakure. Ayama. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm just kind of curious, like, how things are going to go with, with like, Agakure. Is she just going to say, I was like, hey, remember that one time we we talked about how I'm basically naked in my superhero costume? Anyway, <laughs> here's a, here's a stick of action. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it it is one of those things that 
it's nice to see class 1A actually featured in this way that showcases each of them in individually and together. But it does also throw into focus like, oh, yeah, some of them really haven't gotten any focus at all, have they? In the entire 320 chapters of this series that they've been around. So. All right. Well, speaking of series that have 300 chapters, Undead Unluck doesn't. It only has 72. That's why we're going to be talking about number 72, Sincere. Yeah, it's uh, it's unchapter un 320. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you could do that. That's the way words work in this series for some reason. <laughs> um, so we open with Andy, who is looking real tired next to his little communication device. Uh, and everyone around him is like, oh, wow, you've been up like three days. You know, it's not like, you know, the thing's going to pop in or anything like that. And he's like, no, I, I think he's just waiting because he believes that Fuko is going to call any moment now. And we cut over to Fuko, who is, uh... Uh, having her like brain raves read with uh, Tella and his his various different communication devices, uh, and basically nothing as interesting happens in this conversation. He's just like, "Oh, yep, it's good. I didn't touch you, by the way, because I know how your unlock thing works." Uh, but Fuko starts explaining how this facility works, how there's like a tower, and on each floor is a different member of Union, uh, or not Union, under rather who is uh, guarding it, and she's been waiting for this moment right here when Tella is finally given permission to go to sleep, because that's when she can break free. Uh, and she realizes, yeah, the whale has to go up for air once a day around noon. I'm going to make my, my move then. There's a hole that looks like it reaches to the outside. Clothy can help me send a message. He's going to turn into a, a communication device. I know a couple people are kind of on my side, but... The rest of them probably aren't, but I, I think I can make this work. So she goes for it. Uh, the first person she runs into is Lotla, who uh, tries to, like, stop her. And then Fuko just, like, touches her in the belly. And it causes enough unluck to, like, drop her through the floor. So she's getting a little bit better at kind of focusing her unluck. Uh, but then she runs into a new character. One of the characters we were introduced to before. Uh, I don't know if... Do they give her a name? at some point uh kururu kururu uh and she uses her power unchaste she says true love is sincere and it's gonna stop you uh she's like yep now you're my she, 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 she says she says a rhyme chris true love is sincere infatuation is mere veneer yeah i'm not gonna Which... do a rhyming gimmick i'm gonna i'm gonna say a big no on that one it's Did just that rhyme in line the... Did that rhyme in the Japanese as well? Oh, the the translator had to go the extra mile for that? Yeah, they do that all the time. <laughs> I, oh, I'm cool. almost 100% certain. I think they retroactively went back and started changing the way Spring talks because they realized Spring was talking in a 757 verse. So, yeah, they, they have to shift those things around. Um, so she's like, yep, now you're my captive. Normally I worked as an idol. I couldn't use my ability there. That would That wouldn't be fair. Uh, so I can make fans even without this power. You're needed in order to kill God, aren't you? They give yourself Fuku just runs straight past her. And she's like, oh, wait, how can you move? And I do like it because she, they, they basically just explain her ability is like, okay, if she speaks to you, it does a specific pose and gesture, then whoever lo like looks at her will immediately become captive of her and try to bum rush her. But there are two counters to it. First is if you don't know romance at all. But the second is if you have someone 
who's truly in your heart. Uh, and obviously for Fuko, we know who that is. It's Andy. But she also points out that her power doesn't work on Rip. So Loki, we just found out Rip does have feelings for Lotla. It's definitely there. I mean, they also were coordinating outfits, so it's clear they're definitely into each other. But <laughs> uh, And the chapter ends with uh, Fuko getting blasted out of Kane, activating Clothy, and contacting Andy. So there you go. Yeah. They, they, in true Undead Unluck fashion, they kind of set something up three chapters ago that she's already done. So I was like, hey, good job, Fuko. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's move on to the next thing. And uh, that's how we do. She speed ran that dungeon. She like really multiple did. floors that are guarded by people with special powers. I love my boyfriend. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, get it, girl. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Uh, you bring up the fact that Spring's going to be talking in haiku just makes me love him even more. He's so, the best. He's, uh, he's a giant. Give him my might give him my MVP this week, even though he hasn't shown up in this chapter. So he got mentioned. He did. He, he was. Yeah. You know, he, he is mentioned. All right, Nick, before, before we start talking about Boruto, we have had a, a, a dirty habit of spending way too much time talking about Boruto, mostly because we don't got it. But I am setting up right now a 10 minute timer. We cannot talk about this <laughs> chapter for more than 10 minutes. I am putting a stop to it this week. He's kind of planning on speed running in this anyway. So we are going to start off talking about Boruto number 60, A Place to Belong. I want to feel like close, like I'm close to something real. So um, <laughs> we start off with a color page of Damon, the bratty kid that is Ada's quote unquote little brother. And his color design is even worse. I hate him even more for having seen I, his color scheme. The moment I saw the color scheme, I was like, oh, so he's what the protagonist of the new Yu-Gi-Oh series? Because it's just <laughs> as obnoxious and painful to look at as humanly possible. He has teal hair with pink stripes, bright red clothing and then yellow fingernails and irises and i was like this is too much you put too many colors into one character garish there's not a lot of naruto characters i would call garish but he is garish so what about gary and you want to give him like a fun affectionate nickname you're like hey garish yeah well because you know he's so gara you could also call him garish you know like hey gary what's gary garish we doing over there Great use of your 10 minutes, guys. Shikamaru and Sai and Ibiki, for some reason, are talking about Code's abilities and how cool they are. And he says, they say that, like, yeah, he leaves these claw marks everywhere. Apparently, they're not they're not straps. They're claw marks. I, I they're, they're straps. No, but he, he scratches things and leaves his his stupid strap behind as claw marks, essentially, because yeah. they're absolute. There's no way you can tell me it's a scratch across his head or something. Like, it's clearly a big dumb strap. Yes. They say that it is similar to the fourth uh, uh, Hokage, Naruto's dad, Minato's flying Raijin. We saw that in a flashback at one point. He if he. He can teleport between things if he fulfills certain conditions. But Ko can just leave these things literally everywhere. And they say that we haven't found any of these claw marks anywhere within Konoha, but we found them in a bunch of other locations uh, that we can. They're basically the only lead that we have because we can't really trust anyone else's word that we're getting. So we're basically just going to have to send people out there. And then they're like, and that's going to leave us, you know, thin for people who might come after Kawaki and all the other people related to him. My, my favorite moment is they're like, 
where are you, Code? Like, he could be anywhere. And then we get another scene, but then it'll cut to Code, and he's hanging out at the same fucking bar he's been at for, like, six goddamn months now. <laughs> Kawaki is watching this conversation from the from the Mount Rushmore Hokage thing. Uh, then we cut over to Sumire uh, and Amado, and she's like, what are you planning to do to Kawaki? And uh, he says, well, it's a personal thing. So I'm only going to discuss it with Kawaki. I would rather not discuss it with, share it with you. But don't worry. I have zero intention of doing Kanoha wrong, I swear. And then Sumire looks over at a canister, a huge person-shaped canister that is over in the corner. And she's like, what the hell is that? And why haven't we talked about it up to this point? And Amado's like, go away. <laughs> but he says, all right. I've already run this by Katasuke. After all, sharing tech with your village was a condition of borrowing equipment. This one should become a powerful Konoha ally. Oh my god, he's got vision with him! <laughs> uh, I was hoping it would be like a 10-10, but she's got like robot hands, so she could throw like extra shurikens that won't hit anything. <laughs> uh, we cut over then to Code's group fucking demon is trying to write is writing him piggyback and and coach is like will you get off me which is like the most relatable code has been this entire time around it's like can you please get tell him to get off me um so uh then bug tries to sneak away and damon turns and pounces on him he's like oh i just want to be left alone <laughs> go home uh, why are you still here uh, then, as Damon has pinned uh, Bug to the ground, claw marks appear because uh, fuck it, straps appear because because uh, uh, Code has clawed at them, but the straps do not touch Damon. They literally stop where he is and then keep on going on the floor behind him. And he spins around his guys like, huh? and Code immediately realizes, okay, so his reflection ability is instantaneous. And it's not willful. It just happens automatically, regardless of if he's focusing on it or not. Damon wants to know, hey, what the fuck? And Code's like, oh, I was just demonstrating my claw marks ability. Check it out. And he pulls Bug through one of the claw marks. And he's like, yeah, I can go through them, but I can also bring one person at a time with me through them. Um, and Damon's like, ah, that's cool. See, this kid gets it. This kid gets how cool Code is. Uh Ada starts, they have more of a, a conversation and Damon starts to explain more of his ability at Code's prompting and Ada's like, no, 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 no. Don't tell him everything about it. Because it's good that we, if we keep every, every, a few things close to the chest and there is an implication as they keep talking that Ada has not told him all of her abilities as well. Uh, and then they, we leave the scene on the weirdest, most awful note which is Damon going, sorry, Code! Big Sis says I can't tell you what my abilities are! Yeah, I don't know why he's shouting. <laughs> he's in the same room. <laughs> this is why this character was introduced, because we're legitimately just going to be like, okay, maybe Code's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a way to make Code look better. We only have four minutes left, Nick. We have to hurry. We covered Kowaki. People are watching him while he's going through the store, and he remembers what Shikadai told him, that there are rumors going around about him. Uh, then, uh, Boruto mentions he's been taking medicine and, uh, he's been on them for a week and nothing's really been happening so far. Hinata's like, I cooked dinner because that's all I'm good for now that I've gotten married because in this world of Naruto, women can't do anything when they become adults. 
I thought uh, it was. I thought there was an older sister I forgot about because I was like, that doesn't. No, Tanada looks like she's twelve right there. That can't be her. <laughs> well, she's got a short hairstyle. That's how older women look. Yeah. <laughs> so we go over to Kawaki. He's hanging out in the same Hokage right Mount Rushmore thing. And he's just like, oh, he's got rice balls and water, and that's how he's going to eat dinner. And Naruto's like, come to dinner, kid. And he's like, leave me alone. I like this spot. I like gazing down at the village. But when I look down, I, I realize there's no place for me anywhere. It's not anyone's fault. I no, there's a hot outside. topic right over there, son. <laughs> come with me. Uh, but he's like, and Jigen was right. I mean, Yoshiki was right. Okay, if they're acknowledging how confusing that is, I don't feel bad about mixing their names up at all. Thank you. Uh, but then Naruto just lifts him up. He's like, you're coming home, son. And they go, <laughs> they, they go home, and there's a dinner table laid out uh, as they're going to eat together. And they're like, yeah, a lot of stuff's been happening, so we never actually had like a proper welcome, he welcome to our home uh, dinner. So we're going to have it. They've got the vase that he broke and then repaired, set up in the middle with some flowers in it, which is nice. Um Kawaki mentions to Himawari, why don't you just use the one I bought for you? And she's like, well, I chose to use this one instead. So that's nice. She's like, I'm more attached to it now even than before. Then Boruto's like, here, take my headband. And Kawaki's like, isn't this like special to you? Also, I'm not a real ninja. It's like, yeah, but you're a ninja in progress. And I've got Master Sasuke's because he's too cool to wear these. Because as it turns out... A lot of characters look really stupid if you just throw a random thing in the middle of their forehead, as demonstrated by Kawaki wearing it and being like, yeah, this actually looks really stupid on me. I uh, thought it and looked nice. It, it seems to split the conversation at the table because Hinata and, and Himawari are at least nice about it. They're like, oh, it looks good. And Bored is like, guys, be honest, he looks dorky. Like, You're one to talk, kid. Uh, with your stupid... There's no frame or reason to the spikes in your hair. I hope you realize that. So, uh, then only a minute and a half left, Dick. <laughs> Naruto is in bed, and Kawaki's hanging out in his bedroom, and Naruto is like, I don't know, modeling for some underwear magazine or something like that. He's got a t-shirt <laughs> on, he's got his pajamas on, and he keeps on striking these casual but not really poses while he's in the bed talking about stuff with his very small blankets. Yes, he's like, ooh, it only covers up the crotch. Mm. He's wearing pants under there, but uh, all right. But he says, don't worry, we'll find code. And look, if you don't feel like you can be you can be safe here, this is your place. My family you know, has already accepted you as one of our own. And if, if you can't feel like you're safe here, then I failed at my job as Hokage. This is Konoha. It's a place where anyone can live at ease. And if no one can, if anyone feels like they can't, then there is no point in me becoming Hokage. It's a very nice little thing about, from, from Naruto. Yeah. Boruto's got the karma on his hand, and he's looking at it and thinking about it. Kawaki looks at the headband he got from Boruto, and he thinks about what Amato said to him about getting a new karma that is purely a weapon. And he's like, I don't need no karma. There's still <laughs> one thing that I could do to protect Konoha and Lord Seventh, and that's the note we end on with Naruto being asleep. Awesome. We'll find out what the thing is next time, presumably. Austin, we only have 15 seconds. What are your thoughts? Completely incomprehensible. Couldn't understand a word. The only thing I know about Naruto is there's a character named Sasuke that everyone thinks is hot. That's the only thing I know. I didn't, didn't understand a word of this. It could have been an ancient Egyptian. <laughs> but you love scrolls. I love scrolls. Right, that's I prefer it. Them in, oh, okay. That's it. We're no more. We did our 10 yeah. minutes. We're done. Fair enough. Those are the rules. I feel pretty good about that. I don't, so. I don't make up the rules, even though I did in a specific situation. We got to move on. All right. Uh, give, give, don't give me a word. Give me a gesture, thumbs up or thumbs down this chapter or in the middle.
Yeah, like mo- four, mostly positive. Four, Forty-five degree thumb up, basically. Okay. Okay. All right, let's move on to Eden Zero. Let's talk about Eden Zero, Nick. And I, I did understand this because <laughs> I yeah. understand boobs. <laughs> In Zero, Chapter 152, Lost Cards. So uh, we open with Hamora talking to Creed, I think is his name. Uh, and they're basically just like, hey, yeah, we're not your enemy here. We want to work together. We have to stop the All Link. Um, Hamora's butt is shocked at one point because there's a panel of her butt with a shock sound effect next to it. So I can only assume that it's the, the emotion is being felt firmly between those cheeks. And that is why it's positioned <laughs> that way. Uh, their conversation really doesn't lead into anything. Eventually, Creed just basically is like, yeah, sorry, I caged you up in the fucking forest to play it, but I would never lie to someone as beautiful as you. And, uh, I don't know. Moscoy turns on cartoons. <laughs> you skip past my favorite panels. <laughs> Go there's, for it. There's the, she's just giving exposition about robots or whatever, and the camera is placed, like, down by her crotch. Yeah. Sh- facing up, so her breasts are jutting out above you. And then, then the next time you see her, it's from behind and looking at her butt. It's it's like a parody. It, this is so Welcome close to, to funny. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> just a, with a little tweak. This would be, could be a great satire of what it actually is. <laughs> How would you know she's attractive if you aren't firmly staring at her buttocks or breasts in every panel? It's it's so off-putting. Porn exists. You can just type in <laughs> butt into Google. Just look at just look at a butt. <laughs> why, why are you doing I'm this? What the Google image results for butt are? We'll it's got to be better than this. Oh no! They they did actually basically put attractive female butts uh, as the top search results, so I stand corrected. Hell yeah! <laughs> All right, America. So they they do change the channel, and uh, they they cut over to the Lost Card game, which is what we cut over to. And Lost Card is um not a complicated game. If you were thinking this was going to be like Hunter Hunter, where there's an entire arc based around card mechanics that take like 17 chapters to explain and two chapters to utilize. And then they never talk about it again. Uh, it's not like that. They spend two pages explaining the rules. Basically everyone draws a card. If you draw the higher one, you win and the loser loses a piece of clothing. Uh, this must be what it's like to read uh, destroy all humanity. If you don't know anything about magic, yeah, <laughs> pretty <laughs> much. Like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know why. Just play the cards and say your dialogue. Let's move on. Uh, there's a talking fist announcer who is narrating the game. Apparently, I, I don't know if this character is new, but he he does just show up and starts narrating the game. So I guess he's a character now. Um, and Rebecca's like, cool. This game's pretty simple. I definitely can use Cat Leaper at least twice to, to win games here. Uh, she loses the first round, and she's like, oh, man. So, boom, her arm covers are gone. Because remember, you lose, you lose a piece of clothing, and it just disappears. That's two pieces of clothing. I object. Well, it's the same piece of clothing. Like, if you lose... As a member of the Committee of okay. Strict Poker Rules, each individual article cannot be lumped into a group. <laughs> that is fair. Uh, you could say I lose one sock and then the next time you lose, you lose another sock. Yes. You don't take your socks off together. That's that just because it's convenient doesn't mean it's right. (laughs) Well, if I remember from old school wrestling, which of course I do, uh, when the APA beat Trish Stratus in a a strip poker match, she took off her entire bra, even though she had other clothes on. So I guess you really could just do whatever you want. WWE was really horny back in the day. (laughs) 
Um, but not as much as this series because Rebecca keeps losing. She loses her stocking. She loses her shoes. She loses a little bunny thing. Although Lyra loses one, so she loses her entire pants. And she could have taken off. She could have taken off the jacket first, but she takes it off second. Uh-huh. Yeah, she loses her jacket and that, and I don't or know. Or her choker. Yeah, and or her the glasses. I don't. They also make a point that she's wearing a swimsuit. I don't know why you needed to explicitly state that, but it is for some horny reason. Uh, <laughs> some horny reason should be the name of this. <laughs> That's a better title. It's pretty much that. Rebecca loses her shoes and she realizes, or she loses her headband. And realizes she's down to just her leotard, so she decides to go back and do Cat Leaper to change up what happened last time. And she does it, but she still loses. And that's when Lyra gets in there and she's like, now you're down to that leotard. By the way, uh, the thing is, I've played this game over a hundred times and I've only lost once. The only person to ever beat me was Ed Nero, And I lost my, all my clothes and then my left eye. And she leaves us off on a threatening note. You know, after I strip you naked, maybe I'll erase your legs. Um, that's the chapter. Rebecca's trying to rationalize the fact that her cat leaper ability isn't working here yeah they don't actually indicate in any way why it was actually countered this way um so i don't know it seems like this is the kind of thing that indicates there is something more at work to this game than it appears Uh and then they instead of leaving on the note of like how is this happening how is this even possible she's just like i'm gonna strip you naked and take your legs away All right, that's not that we knew that last chapter though. This isn't new information, so I was eternally tickled though to read that Emperor Nero was challenged in a game of strip poker and managed. I mean, okay, I really don't want to though, but oh, I still extra do it. Okay, the dice, the dice say you take your top off. Let's go, (laughs) Daddy. Like this. Uh, and there was also a conversation in the Discord about some people being like, wasn't this a, a, a character design submitted to Hero? Like, wouldn't you be upset if your main character, like the character you submitted, just kept getting naked? And I was like, no, if you read oh. Hero, you probably are so excited <laughs> that this is <laughs> they, what they're, they're being used for. <laughs> Look, I don't want to, 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 like, get too deep into this, but there are many people where if you go online, you will find out that they have original characters that they are very attached to, that they commission adult artists to draw naked and in various naked activities. So there, it does not surprise me in the least that the one of the submitted characters is getting naked, so... There you go. Yeah, Austin. Clearly, an, there's an audience for this, I guess. I don't, I Austin, I want to hear like all your thoughts. I want, I want to hear what you feel about Eden Zero, because I, I sent you... I'm just going to try and, yeah. and act all dignified while you do this. I sent you this link, and I was like, I'm sorry, we have a really, really horny chapter of Eden Zero this week. You tried to talk me out of it. You're like, yeah, there's a link to Eden Zero, but you don't really need it. And I, I was like, no, dog, send it over. And you're like... Oh no, it's so horny though. <laughs> you could have just sent me just a fucking Pornhub link and yeah, just said I, I, zero, and I would have been like, yeah, that seems right. I should have sent you a link to some deviant arts care like Sonic the Hedgehog inflation porn. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, sounds about right. <laughs> I don't know why. I guess just for marketability. Like, if you're going to just do this, why not actually do it? Like, try to be an artist of, like, eroticism. That's an art form. I respect that. But, like, this is just, like, horny, but with no commitment. <laughs> I don't know. I can't respect it. Show whole or go home. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, maybe next week when one of these two women loses all of their clothes. And a really nasty bodily injury as well. Yeah, that's not what I meant by show hole. When you just lose an eye. (laughs) (laughs) I should have been more specific. I'm sorry. All right. You said it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I guess we'll move on to the Hunter's Guild, Red Hood, then. Yeah, we are. It's chapter number four. Plans. Um... So it's the plan to take on this the quote unquote smart werewolf, uh, who is now really big because he pumped up his muscles with his regeneration ability. Uh, the werewolf uh, is like, okay, this weird smoke prevents me from seeing them and smelling them, but I've got my awesome hearing. I can detect them this way. And so he hears Grim on a rooftop, and so immediately goes after her, attacks her, and um. He's, he just starts, just starts bragging about how awesome his hearing is. Like, yeah, I can hear everyone. I can hear all the villagers in the building hiding away from me. And I can even hear the sound of a finger on a trigger because over on another rooftop, Velo's got uh, a gun. Uh, and so he spins around to him as he's clearly getting his finger on the trigger. Velo uh, fires uh, his gun and the werewolf uh, blocks it by just putting his arms in front of his face. And he's just like, ow, that hurt. And then he's like, now let me explain. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, look, I told you, gunshots don't work on me. And you two are totally exposed. You and I, So, okay, you're the decoy, uh, but that's dumb. Uh, I'm the hunter. You're not the hunters. You humans are prey. And Grim makes a face. It's like, why are you talking right now? But then she just says, try and kill me then. So he, he's like, what? Well, yeah, I mean, if the bullets don't work on you, you should just regenerate, and then you should eat me. And so he's like, yeah, okay. Oh, no, I can't regenerate! Uh, because, oh, there is a special thing that, that the hunters have created that prevents werewolves from regenerating. Uh, it, it prevents the regeneration from activating. And we get and see there are two ways to kill werewolves. One is to burn them. And the other is to rend their flesh with a certain special metal. And then we cut to an explanation scene where the werewolf is a student in like a full like elementary school uniform. And Grimm is the teacher. And it's a really weird thing to do, (laughs) honestly. Uh, But so... He's like, oh, okay, so you're using silver bullets? And she says, no. Silver does have a property that slows werewolf regeneration, but it's too light, so you can't use it in bullets. It won't pierce a werewolf's hide. The material we use is... (laughs) You can't even say it. (laughs) Wolfonium! If you Uh, came to me and said, I have a series for you, the characters shoot Chekhov's guns with bullets made of wolfonium, I would would say get out of my office. (laughs) I would say don't come back. I'm giving security a picture of you. Yeah, but you have to also have to understand that we live in a world where the super rare element that we have to obtain from this planet is unobtainium, and that that made two billion dollars. So. We need to really stress that, it, like, for all the dunking on Avatar gets, it does not get nearly enough for naming the rare material they have to obtain unobtainium. 
It's a ballsy move for sure. This <laughs> series, I, maybe I should lean into this goofy shit. I feel yes. like the straight action isn't really anything. But if it, if they get weirder with it, I might be into it. Yeah, if it's... it gets dumber and dumber like this, then I might be starting to get on board with this series. It is an odd thing because it does seem to be slowly heading in that direction because we started off pretty serious uh, with this with this series. But as we've gotten along, like Grim has gotten a little bit goofier. And shortly after she demonstrates, like, see, we need this special checkoff series. And so this gun will kill you. And the werewolf, as soon as she pulls the gun out, just puts grabs the barrel of the gun and and bends it up so it can't be used. And she's just like, oh, and, and that's just kind of it. And it's like, so I I think that this might be like one of my favorite things that's happened in this series so far is she's like, this gun is super awesome. It'll kill you. Ah, and then she just pulls out another one. She's just like reaches into her coat. And she has another gun. Like how many of those guns do you have? I have a bag of holding. Fuck you. So. <laughs> Um, so the werewolf's like, all right, well, thanks for the rambling lecture. <laughs> uh, but he's like, I'll go, you know, eat the kid and then I'm going to come back and eat you. You'll look like it'll be more fun to kill. And, uh, then he gets like really, really gratuitous. Like, I'm not going to swallow you whole. No, no, no. You're going to be the roast. The kid will be soup. I'm going to cut you up and I'm going to make a full course meal out of you. All right. It's great to deal with patience you have, but okay. Uh, so Grimm says, yeah, all right. And uh, where is this kid you're going to kill? And it turns out that Velo is no longer in the position that he was, you know, five minutes ago while this lecture was going on. But he did make sure to set up a little lean-to with the gun on it just in case, you know. I, I don't know. Uh, and the werewolf realizes, wait a minute, I can smell now. And I can't smell the kid. And Grimm pulls out another gun from her bag. And she fires at the werewolf's legs. Uh, and uh, he slumps over. And then we get a flashback at this point, and she says, see, this is how Wolfonium works, but even with Wolfonium bullets, inflicting a mortal wound will be hard. So think, find a way that will beat clever werewolves. And so Velo says, wait a minute, you called those clams you used for our smokescreen gas shells. That means their mist is flammable, right? And she says, gas shells emit flammable gas, yes, but it's, uh, it'll sink, it's heavier than air. But Vela says, I have an idea. Does, does, so, does he say it like uh, JFK does? <laughs> I have an idea. This will be my voice from now on whenever we read this series. I hope you're fine with that, Chris. I are a uh, die, werewolf. <laughs> uh, Grim starts lecturing the werewolf and being like, all of this was a ploy to buy time. I mean, you could have fooled me. Uh, the gun. The blabbing. <laughs> uh, it was all meant to hold you here and buy time. The moment you picked this village, your fate was sealed. The victor in this battle of wits is Velo. And it turns out that in the hut below them, Velo has been has stuck a bunch of the gas shells in the fireplace, which are filling up the the... Hold on, hold on. I don't know how this works. So he sets off the flintlock of the gun and it strikes a spark which which shoots fire up the chimney. But if the gas sinks, I don't know how this works. Um, does he have something blowing it up? Is there a fan? It's, the, sp it's the spark from the ignition from the flintlock. The yeah, but, 
But if the gas sinks, wouldn't it just go into the room that he's in and kill him? Well, yeah, it's, it looks like it's around his ankles. You can see the gas. Also, can't the werewolf hear a finger on a trigger? How does he not hear someone setting a gas trap under him? <laughs> it's very selective super hearing. <laughs> Just like, and that is what that is what Wolfonium is. It's a cool name, isn't it, for a cool thing? It's, it's like, hold on, what's that noise below us? <laughs> Well, they, they should just keep saying, oh, no, I keep tripping. Oh, no, I'm <laughs> tripping again. <laughs> Trying to cover his sound. <laughs> they make a point that they're like, you got to learn how to deal with clever werewolves. I'm like, oh, this one's kind of dumb. <laughs> He's done a lot of dumb things so far. <laughs> Fire shoots up the chimney and burns the werewolf, who, which, and also launches him off the roof to the ground, I, I think. Anyway, it, it, he, he's super dead now. Uh and uh, so Grimm congratulates Velo on a job well done, saying, yeah, yeah, good job turning the chimney into a, an impromptu cannon. It was rough around the edges, but still a good plan. One that didn't involve any blood or tears. I mean, you did just kill a sentient being, so I don't know about that. She takes out a hood and puts it on his head. Uh, okay. Uh, the villagers come, come out and are like, oh, did you kill the werewolf? And Vela says, yeah, but I had to blow up the house to do it. Uh, it was abandoned, but I don't know about the house around it might be damaged. But they interrupt him and sweep him up into this big group hug. And they're like, oh, thank goodness you're okay. Everyone is okay, except for the people that the last werewolf killed. So don't worry about that. Um, and they say, oh, you've grown up, fellow. You kept our hamlet safe and everyone survived, except the mayor and his wife, who was a werewolf, turns out. So, and... Uh, then we cut away then to a witch-looking woman who refers to the village as, like, super boonies. Uh, and there is a giant werewolf, I guess. Kumamora. You're right, it is Kumamora. <laughs> so... So And a and witch we... character that all the Europeans are going to be going crazy over because she has fangs. And the Europeans no, on our Discord server are very horny. <laughs> okay, it's just the Discord. I thought that was just like a widely known European stereotype for a second. <laughs> the joke, the joke uh, is that, yeah, Germans love war and all that. Anyway, so. Oh, no. But we have more than just our European, our, our German listeners who like the yes. fangs, though. So that's why I say European. Us yeah. Americans, North Americans, we're normies, you know. We know it's up. We know it's cool. It's all you Europeans who are crazy. Yeah, definitely. So Velo starts narrating, saying, I will never forget what happened that day. So many lives were lost and all I knew was reduced to ash. It was the day I became a hunter. So I'm sure that all the villagers are going to be fine now that he saved them. So, Yeah, he did it. He saved the day. Yeah. Series is done. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. It might be about three months too early. <laughs> Hey, it's doing very popular. The lead character has a gigantic chest. Yeah, <laughs> to I... my knowledge, that's the primary reason it seems to be popular. Look, people like what they like. Sports series do well because people want to bang the dudes in them. So, you know. I understand that. So, I guess it makes sense. Austin, when you read this whole thing. What do you think I about it? I read all four of the chapters in like one uh -huh. sitting and a lot of it's just very utilitarian setting up the werewolf rules of this universe. It's establishing kind of how things work. So it's like there's not that much characterization to grasp onto. Um, but like I said, I, th I think if this series gets weirder and stupider, I might be more interested. It has the kind of 
uh, Bloodgorn-esque, like, what if werewolves were, like, twisted, dude? What if werewolves were sick and edgy? Which I kind of like, even though Grimm's fa- fairy tales, but darker, is, like, played out. They're, the Grimm's fairy tales are already super dark. You can't really go that much further <laughs> than the actual things. But if they if it just gets weirder and grosser and dumber, I might be interested. If they just play it straight and they're like, let's just kill Grimm's fairy tale characters, I'm I'm out. <laughs> So the other thing you could do, you could do, the other thing you could do Austin instead of waiting for that is you could just read Chainsaw Man. So <laughs> everyone keeps telling me that. I guess I will. If weird and gross is what you're looking for, then <laughs> and the, I know the one girl has fangs, so I'm already horny. Yeah. Yep. Well, you you do have a little European in you. That does make sense. <laughs> Although generally she's not the one that people tend to be horny for. People just are just like she's just the best character. Well, so. those people have Dom fetishes. That's why they're horny for that character. <laughs> That's the highest respect um like an anime fan can give you is be like I like you so much I'm not horny for you I just like you and respect you lady you're oh, cool. no, people are horny for for power it's just that they're horny for someone else more so okay all right so yeah you guys you you think this is gonna this is gonna be successful enough to keep going then even though you don't seem particularly I think it's <laughs> I think it's successful enough to survive a little bit longer i don't know if this is going to have a long run in it but it is going to certainly get a longer run than the series we'll be talking about after magu-chan um it's uh yeah i think that uh i'm kind of in the boat that you're at austin i've been for basically the entire time like the first chapter is like all right this is intriguing in a way but since then i've just kind of been waiting for that thing that comes in that actually makes this like good as opposed to just another series like many of its ilk that has a slightly different aesthetic mm-hmm. but yeah. it will probably have enough time to do that so we'll see it's a nice reminder that bloodborne exists and it's fucking sick <laughs> it was too hard for me i got scared <laughs> there was a there was i was like i don't want to go down this hallway there's like three things <laughs> and then i stopped playing <laughs> oh fuck do we gotta do like some horror playthroughs with you playing them or something, <laughs> or me playing them? I'd hate I hate horror games. <laughs> Maguchan, God of Destruction, Chapter Fifty Two: The Conclusion of the Gods. Uh, we open with uh the oh I've forgotten his I've gotten her name uh the uh sleepy sleepy Dosh, time Doshu Dosho something Doshu let's just call her. Uh, she is she's she uh, is uh, chilling out and BS finds her and she's just like, hey, go away. Illusionary incense and uh, BS barks. But Izuma is there and he's got the fan that he's been using as a weapon this whole time and uses it to cast a blast of wind that uh, bl- blows all the mist away. And then it turns out that Gula is is there. And, uh, oh gosh, I keep forgetting because he has two names that they call him. So Zonzege is there as well. Gula grabs Noshu in his claws and just kind of covers her up so that she can't emit any more mist. And she's like, what's going on? It's dark in here. And then it turns out Zonzege is in there with her and he just goes, ah, she's too close. And it does some barbs that make her go into despair. And so they've, they've, they've beaten her very, very handily like this. And we find we get a closer look at Izuma, and it turns out he's got a pl- he's got a clothespin over his nose, so he doesn't inhale the mist. Yeah, good job. He would still inhale it through the mouth. Um, 
<laughs> but it's fine. It's fine. I don't think that's how air works, Nick. Once you close up one no hole, it can't go anywhere else. Where else would it go? Just think about it. Science. Uh, one, one of the is with them notes that uh, Muscar's flesh is nearing its limit, and we get a shot of the battle as Muscar has uh, reverted to, so, Andros, you show your true form. And uh, he's a big, giant cloak that has a huge eye uh, in the face hole. Uh, he's still got the hole in his torso from where Magu blasted him. And uh, but now he's super large as well. He's entirely he's way bigger than Magu in his uh, released form. Is that Magu Chan's usual logo? I believe that it is what they've been using more recently. Okay. I was going to say, I don't remember noticing that before. It's been there's been a couple of chapters, but it is quite recent. Okay. That they've been doing it, I think. Um, yeah, it's very nice. And I think it's just. You know, another indication like Magu-chan is doing really well. So we'll do stuff like give it an official English logo and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, Muscar is definitely on his, on his back foot. Magu blasts away his arm when he tries to do something. And uh, Magu notes, ah, now that you have lost your powers, you cannot maintain that body. You're an eyesore, Muscar. <laughs> so mean. <laughs> But Muscar says, I don't care. We're wicked gods. We're monsters. That's what the humans call us. And we get a flashback to that kid that Muscar models his appearance after, who apparently approached him and was like, oh, you're a nice god. You know, will, you, will you do something? I'm sure you'll bring happiness to us. And Muscar was just kind of like, want me to be your god? Then I shall grant one prophecy you would do well to leave this land at once. But when the boy takes this information back to his village and then a disaster happens, like an earthquake happens or something like that, they're like, oh, because it's because the Brad is utilizing wicked gods to call forth the disaster to take your revenge, which we don't really know the whole context of that, but they treat his prophecy as instead a threat. And so... Muscar says, you know, you're, you're supposed to be like me, Magu, in the present. And Magu's like, I do not have the patience to listen to your tedious complaints. I'm not interested in the backstory. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say reading this, I absolutely always hear this voice as Nick, because I my first exposure to the series is your recaps. So this character just has Nick voice. <laughs> There's a growing there's a growing force that want Nick to to officially voice this character in some capacity. So if you're out there, anime people, I don't Mr. Anime, I don't Mr. Crunchyroll, I don't know who the fuck controls the Mr. Anime is my father. <laughs> if any if anyone out there, you know, knows of uh a uh I don't know <laughs> a way that I can get a a job for a, for an anime dub without any experience. <laughs> Yeah, you cut together the clips of you recapping it. <laughs> just all the different. Uh, I was gonna say you just you just start up an anime a bridge so and <laughs> eventually it happens. Oh man, if only we were twenty ten. So uh... <laughs> the standards were lower back then. <laughs> uh, we then cut into Ruru's dream. Uh, she's still dreaming, of course, about her dad, and uh, they're getting dinner ready and stuff. But Ruru spots a little container of natto. And she says, Dad, where's Magu-chan? And, of course, her parents don't know about Magu because in this, you know, in this time, they she had never met Magu. But say they're like, who are you talking about? Who's Magu-chan? And she just says, he's my friend. 
Um, but she also says he's a god of destruction and my family. He's always by my side. He's my very precious friend. Ever since you passed away, Dad. And the dream starts to crack and crumble away as she looks at her father. And then she realizes, oh, I get it. This is just a dream. Thanks, Dad. I'm glad I got to see you again. And her father says in response, you've grown so big, Ruru. Go to him. He's waiting for you. Which Don't forget to pick up milk. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then the dream fades away. <laughs> By the way, if you ever if you find the thing in my cabinet, don't show your mother. <laughs> Delete my browser history. Bye. <laughs> I don't know if it goes back that far. Okay. <laughs> Blast my cash. Um, Throw away my Eden Zero volumes. <laughs> anyway, kind of kind of ruining the little touching moment there, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, like, the fact that she that she the she dreams this makes me wonder if that's just how she knows that her dad would react or if there's something, you know, I don't know, magical going on because, you know. Well, Nick, mag- I think we have an answer for this. We have to go back to 2014's Inception. And uh, if the stop is still spinning, then it means everything was a lie. And uh, if it's not. Mean, I don't actually see the movie. I'm making things up at this point. It means you're lying. You've the seen wall. I have not. I, I haven't. You, I don't believe you. I I haven't. I don't. I I don't watch. I didn't watch it. I don't. I don't know what else to say. I don't want to say I didn't watch movies back then. I watched so many movies back then. I just didn't see Inception. I saw I, th- I saw Inception twice in the theater, and the second was purely so that I could hear people react to the ending. Where <laughs> 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 I was like. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've seen a Christopher Nolan movie since The Dark Knight. Well, no, I guess I watched The Dark Knight Dark Rises, but I, but, I, but I try to forget. Chick is Bane. You're famous for your Bane. What are you talking about? I just I, I have no idea what you're talking. I just watched the commercials. No, Chris is like, no, I just came up with that. What's Bane? I just I just invented it like a funny. Bo- Did someone do that? Oh my god, that's so weird. <laughs> it's very cool i invented it so i should get money right yeah. <laughs> for pain impressions someone <laughs> pay me in the present uh so ruru wakes up and uh she she's got the natto that maku left for her which is very cute and she's like i have to go now because she realizes the maku needs her but he doesn't really. Magu uh, has got Muscar on the ropes, and uh, he's going to kill that boy. Uh, but uh, as Mag, because so Muscar has shrunken down back into his usual human form, although it's not doing very well, and he's still got a bunch of holes in him. So Magu says, "Return to chaos where you belong. Your esteemed god of destruction bids it. I shall grant you your destruction." But Muscar in this moment is actually happy because he's like, yeah, this is who Magmanuik is. If it means getting your influence and power back, I don't mind. The ultimate wicked god who rules over all. But instead of granting Muscar even that victory, Rue shows up in the nick of time and she hugs Magu around the waist from behind as he's getting his eye beam of destruction ready. And she says to him, come on, stop, stop. If you do this, you really will become an evil god. And seeing her, Magu starts to calm down. Uh, 
And Rue says, I don't really know what's going on, but stop fighting, okay? Look, I brought you Nato. And immediately Ma- Magu just shrinks back down into his usual form. Like, Perfect. And he just starts eating it and just stops trying to kill Muscar. So cute. I love his little, just holding him like a little baby. Just got a little guy. And uh, so Muscar looks, who was about to die two seconds ago and looked kind of happy about it, looks at this and is just like, ah, 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 How? How are you able to do this to Magnuic? And Rue just looks at him and goes, Laura, Moo, stop calling me that! Um, I have a cooler name! (laughs) So he just starts going on a rant, saying, We're wicked gods! You shouldn't be able to coexist with us! Stop trying to act friendly! You're driving me crazy! Why do you think I made you go to sleep? And of course, Ruru, being Ruru, is just like, Oh, so you made me have that nice dream where I got to see my dad. Thanks, Lord Moo. I could never be afraid of you because at the end of the day, you're a pretty nice god. And Muscar, when he looks at her reaching out to him, he sees the same kid that was in his flashback. And Muscar is like, no, this is why I hate humans. They're foolish and helpless and make me realize how empty I am. Aww. And he actually reaches back towards Ruru with his little sleeve, and she's going to take his hand, and she says, Lord Moo, you stop fighting too. Become friends with us. Aw, what a beautiful moment. With friendship and understanding, she made this god who was so bent on their destruction be friends. Isn't that nice? I'm going to turn the page now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just waiting for this moment. Me! The worst character in all of Shonen Jump. <laughs> Are you sure there's a couple like weird like perverts in Shonen Jump right now? Oh. <laughs> She's better than all of them. So she, they they she holds his little sleeve hand, and Uneris appears and uses pulsing providence as the bracelet she gifted to Ruru glows with a dark energy. And she says, I was waiting for this moment, the very moment when you would let your guard down. I always knew Ruru would eventually make you lower your guard. That's why I worked a spell into the bracelet I gave her for her birthday. A super simple ceiling gem. I can't see you away completely, but... And it puts Muscar into his, quote, reweakened form. So he's got a little chibi monster form now, which admittedly is super cute. So that's nice. And he's, of course, very pissed off about this. Because he's like, it took me so many years to get back to that form I was in before. I won't forget this. I'll never forgive you as he flies away. And Unera says, I made his body like that so we'd never have to take him seriously again. Good job, (laughs) Uneris. Seemed like the problem was about to solve itself. So, Ruru could have solved the problem permanently, and instead you made it only slightly less bad. But, yeah, so, this actually made me think, so, my initial reaction, and my still overall feeling of this is, Uneris is awful, she ruins everything. Literally, we had this moment where Ruru was going to freaking bond with the only antagonist this series has, and totally neutralize him in what would have been a very sweet moment, and Uneris shit all over it with her stupid bullshit. And trolling everything. But then it actually literally got me to think, 
are the, is there is there a Makiba going on with Uneris? Is that it? Where it's just like she's the villain the entire time, and honestly, it's kind of obvious from the get go, but it just gets more obvious as time goes on that she is just tw- holding all the strings and is actually doing everything because she's the one who sealed all these gods who turn out to actually be nice people away. She's the one who's working with them and opposing them and everything like that. She's the only one who actually has all of her power. So is she just the final boss? Is that what's going on with this? Or is this a series where I shouldn't think about that too much because this is mostly just a cutesy comedy series? I've just been thinking about Butakun from last chapter. Honestly, like that's just like that scene's just running through my mind. He has like little monkey symbols that he's doing like flips, and that's the only thing my mind's been thinking about for like the last two weeks. That puts a very different spin on the the one weakness of Muscara fate is noise. <laughs> <laughs> he's a little baby though; he doesn't know what how much noise he's making. This is just a serious series about little babies. I love it. Yeah, this is Rugrats but with superpowers. This is the the chapter I read where I was like, oh, I should just read this whole thing and just keep up with it. <laughs> like, I don't, I'm not really a manga reader that much, but like, this is great. I love these little guys. It's you are very, y'all are very annoyed at this character. I haven't been exposed to them enough to get annoyed, but it's like it seems like her job is to add more Pokemon to the world. So <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> she keeps de digitivolving these people so they can be added to the comedy group. <sighs> <laughs> all right Don't nick like pick, pick up your spirit because we're going to be talking about the fun and exciting world of Nehru, way of the martial artist skill three nagi washin ryu they're having the spear versus sword fight and spear dude uses a thing called five thousand. now nick hold on a second you're using your I don't like this voice. How can you not love this? <laughs> All right, oh you're right. Let me do let me change things up. So Jokero then uses his spear technique, five thousand flowers, and goes to beat up Nehru is his name. That's his name. I've remembered this character's name from seeing it in the title just now. And so it's amusing it because sword. if it wasn't the title of the series, no one would know this character's name. So he blocks it with his sword and then he kicks his foot up. And he grips the shaft of the spear in his foot. And Jokuro is shocked because they're like, wait a minute, I can't move. Somehow he's able to just hold it in the air in place with just his his toes. Nero goes in and tries to attack him, but he dodges out of the way of the sword strike, which would have left him a double amputee. Let's be real. They're using real weapons. Uh, Nero was trying to mutilate him. <laughs> so... Joker was like, what the hell was that? How could his toes be that strong? And people started to go, oh, he's got weird feet. And and another person's like, yeah, he's got like fallen arches. And I did actually look back at previous chapters of the series. And to its credit, Nehru's feet have always been drawn this weird way where he's got too much flesh on the bottom. Turns out it was a, it was an actual decision in the design of his character. Foot foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievably, I did not focus on the feet too much prior to this. Mm-hmm. I don't know why anyone would. That's There's a, a couple thing. sickos out there who saw this coming. No, they, <laughs> they knew immediately. So, Quentin Tarantino was watching this. He was just like, "Ooh, those feet are going to be something special." But he, he didn't. He didn't pick it up either. He just he was talking about on, something else. 
<laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's, uh, let's put a wig on him and perfect. Okay. So. Oh, no. All right. I could drink wine off of those. So. Oh, fuck. I hate that. So, um, Joe Crow's sister, whose name I've already forgotten, uh, says, Have you heard of Nagiwa Shinryu? Yes, yes, it's a, it's a common phrase everyone uses, but uh, it's in the Book of Disciplines. And so someone immediately goes to the library and grabs a copy of the book, and people are like, why was he barefoot? And so it turns out she had a conversation with, with, with Nehru's friend who's like, oh, yeah, he's always barefoot. He, you know, he takes off his indoor sh- shoes at school, and he's just always using his feet for things. And so he's like, yeah, I'm going to pedal without, without u- using my hands. I'm going to chop wood with my feet. I'm going to sweep the floor with my feet. I'm going to carry water with my feet. I'm going to write with my feet. <laughs> you know, things people do. Uh-huh. But uh, he increased his foot strength. And people were like, oh, apparently this peaked during the mid-Edo period and it died out ages ago. It's characterized by predominant use of feet in battle. Not the getting... foot period. That's what the history books remember it as now. There was just a period of Japanese history where everyone was a nasty little gremlin. Uh, just doing foot stuff. They say that the progenitor of the style lost both his arms, and so all the students of the school went about barefoot and were known for having flat foot, which is a thing that usually you see when people have no arch in the in the bone structure of their foot, but it can also be caused by too much muscle development. The muscle is so gets built up so strong that it lays flat on the ground instead of the foot being arched. See, Nick, and, Trump didn't avoid all those wars because he was a coward. He did it because he, he had extra strong fleet. <laughs> <laughs> he was a master of the Nagawashi Ryu. <laughs> if he went to war, then it would have been he he would have you know, outpaced all the other soldiers by you know holding his machine gun in his toes. So that's why they couldn't let him in. So then we get more narration as he keeps fighting this guy that says the foot is said to be the body's second heart. I have literally never heard that in my entire life up to this point. It is actually a pseudoscience, like uh, crystal healing nonsense thing where the people will say like, oh, it can heal your conditions by apply pressure to your feet. It's like it's fake, but there are people who believe that. I don't know. It plays a key role in sending blood to the entire body, which I have heard of before because of One Piece, because that's how Luffy <laughs> goes second gears. <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait to talk about One Piece. Oh, I know. <laughs> We're wasting so much time. We could be talking about One Piece. So he goes and dances in and attacks Jokuro, and he's using the girl's moves to attack him. He's like, I've got to go faster. But then as he lunges in, he sees the guy as a skeleton going, nice. You're good. And there's a flash of light, which is how all martial arts techniques are seen by actual martial artists. And then he falls over onto the ground and the guy has his spear at his throat. And so he he wins. Uh, And he looks down. He's like, oh, my God, just my clothes are shredded. What kind of a martial arts series is this where the clothes get shredded? They don't fall off him in one go. And he's it's like, just his, his hog just pops out. What kind of lady martial arts series is this? Fan service for everyone. So uh, people are like, oh, man, you, you gave Joker a really good match. That was great. And then Nero just points at Joker and is like, is everyone here that good? And people are like, well, those two are the Haibas. See, they're of the Haiba Unsuryu lineage, the heirs of that super famous Sojutsu lineage. Ah, oh, yeah, super famous Sojutsu lineage, yes. You know, it's just like that super famous Magic the Gathering deck with the uh, stuff you were saying. 
<laughs> exactly like that. You nailed it. Um, so, but they say like, oh yeah, uh, super awesome skills. And Jokuro says something really weird, which is skills to wound, skills to kill. It sounds violent, but all the techniques that remain to this day are skills that were crafted for survival. Whether or not you consider the two to be the same is up to you to decide. Which seems to just be a complete non sequitur to everything people were talking about but okay so Nero gets up and he's like oh yes yes oh I'm so hardy for martial arts I got a head but this wall oh I want to go to this school let me let me go to this school and let me fight you again yes it'd be the best if everyone was like well we were going to until you got up abruptly and slammed your face <laughs> into the wall and now we don't know what's going on <laughs> They just quietly put the application in the garbage while he's doing this. <laughs> no, we changed our minds. So they go over all that, and then Joker is like, well, I mean, if you want to fight me again, if you get the top score on the entrance exam, I'll think about it. Which is such a, like, all right, asshole, Mr. Also, I, I guess he, he's the dean as well. He controls admissions. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, I think, well, yeah, because it does imply that he's not going to let him leave the school in addition to not sparring with him, you're right. I, was, I had to check to make sure he was holding the spear next to him at this point to make sure he didn't shove it up his own ass in order to be like, well, if you get the top score in the entrance exam, I will consider it. Uh, so Nera's like, all right, well, they test for physical skill, no problem. Oh, yeah, they test for academics, too. And so Nera's like, no, but I don't do that that i i i can't i i can't do that by doing it with my feet that doesn't make me any smarter <laughs> that, that's the, the secret he, he's like cramming for the physics test and so he's like what if i read with my feet i will unlock levels of physics heretofore untold he's like oh yeah i got an f for feet it's <laughs> <laughs> the best score in martial arts that's, that's the end of the chapter. Everyone's like, oh, next year's going to be fun because this kid's going to join our school, probably. <sighs> no, no likey. I, the art in this is great. What was this chapter one? Like, the, I feel like that's this is what sets Nehru apart as a martial artist and, in, and not his, like, I mm. draw things out thing. And I feel like this is the point we should have done in chapter one and then built up from to then do interesting stuff. Ash. It took too uh, long to learn to use a foot guy, is what you're saying. Yes. I <laughs> prefer to have body parts of main characters accentuated from the word go. Look, Grim in, in Red Hood, you oh. knew right away what yeah. her main physical attributes were, is all I'm saying. <laughs> this, this, this story so far has no like characters or ideas that I found particularly interesting. But from the beginning, I really liked the art, the, the Tengu mask fight in the first uh, chapter, and then some of the stuff in here I thought was really cool. That's like my only insight is I think the art is pretty sick, but everything else is boring. Yeah. So, Chris, uh, Austin is here for chapter three. Does that mean he gets a stand if this series gets done in the recap? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> <laughs> you don't seem like you're having fun. I don't know if I if, if there's something else you can read instead. Maybe you should. Is there a way? Let me think of if there is a way I can say no <laughs> with my feet. <laughs> yeah, spell it out. The American feet sign language. 
I um I don't know, maybe I can make an X with my feet. I don't know. I don't really Nick, I'm don't give it away socks. for free. Don't give it away I'm for free. Socks, <laughs> but I still don't think that I should lift them up for people. To Weirdos spend, will pay so. big money for it. Right. Nick Nick feet is a Patreon goal, definitely. <laughs> uh, it's right. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I think we're all in agreement on no. <sighs> I was half expecting you to cash in just to make me miserable, Chris. It's the money in the Frank Beefcase! Levito! Are you you actually going to do this, or are you just faking me out? I don't really know. Now that I'm here, I kind of feel challenged. Now I feel like I was going to fake out, but now that I feel like you're challenging me on it, maybe I had to call your bluff. I don't know. I don't know. Chris, do you you want to do... I don't want to get DMC'd. Hold on. Yeah. (laughs) Do you want to be Adolf Ziegler where, you know, you wait and wait and wait and wait and have a lot of false cash-ins before you actually do it? Or do you want to do every woman who has cashed in the money <laughs> in the bank in the past three years is like, next day, baby! Same night, baby! <laughs> Not sitting on this at all! <laughs> I have plans. If Nero was more interesting in any way, if it was worse... <laughs> Certainly, if it was better, you were like, "No, I'm gonna be like, no, I'm coming back." But as Austin said, there there are zero characters in this series, <laughs> so I just don't feel like this is. Co- I'm I'm banking that we're gonna get something a little bit worse going forward. So I'm gonna hold on to this baby for a little bit longer. But I wanted to remind you who has the power here. I got you. I I mean, I guess we haven't established that V2 in the bank is an annual contest or anything, so it's not like you've got a time limit. <laughs> I'm just gonna use just it. Hold on to this. 2052. Yeah. Oh, finally. I'm just gonna wait three years and be like, all right, Nick, we gotta go back and read Ayakashi Triangle. It's back, baby. <laughs> you have to read. We... Matsuri's oh, mom we... fingered him four more times. Are we just... <laughs> so we're just gonna cover it in one go? Nope. We're gonna read it every week from the beginning. <laughs> we're starting over, baby. All right. Oh, we're running late, so I'm gonna try and pick up the pace on Doctor Stone. Zeagle's 205, universe of zeros and ones. They've got Psy there. He's super intelligent. And also Ryusui's big brother. And Ryusui's like, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, he's he's great. Uh, and uh, I, I never just brought him up before uh, or anything. Uh, and they're like, why didn't you bring up he was your big brother? Oh, because that's, you know, not what I value about Psy. I value his first rate talent. Is that so wrong? <laughs> Which is a little bit like, okay, Ryusui, you're a little bit, uh, okay, fine. You're a little bit weird, but all right. But Psy is like, I'm not a genius, though. I'm I'm not. Uh, but we then c- get a flashback that indicates that you know there he's in class and someone's trying to have him do like long addition, and instead he does in his head uh, multiplication between two like nine or ten digit numbers uh, to come up with the answer. And Ryusui sees this, and he's like a, a literally a baby with a pacifier who's like, I desire his powers. So, but. Uh, Side just says, like, I mean, come on. I mean, it's mental math. Who cares? You can just have a calculator do the stuff that I'm talented at. You know, a computer could do that in an instant. Uh, And or, or, hey, given enough time, anyone could do 10 digit multiplication. Uh, And I there is a little panel where people are thinking about that. And Chrome is trying to do it in his head. And Senk is like, I mean, it does take a lot of time. And Cock is just thinking about food. Hell because yeah, that's, that's how I am when someone's like, can you do these double digit times problems? Like, ah, no, not really. I'm going to think about food and then I'm going <laughs> to open up my calculator app. 
Look, I did it just as quickly as you did. <laughs> uh, 10 by 10? Yeah, I could do that one real quick. That's 100, baby. <laughs> 10 times 11, 110. I got him. Okay. I, I could do this all day. <laughs> I can go all the way up to like probably that or like a thousand where I'm going to start getting confused. <laughs> it would be much funnier if you had just been wrong every time. Eight times six, 463. Got him. Seven times six, that's 97, baby. Doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but I'll believe you anyway. <laughs> Did anyone ever show you the the uh, nine times table trick with your fingers? Yeah. Okay, cool. I think we all I think we all had a teacher at some point in our lives. <laughs> show me that. I had to watch Stand and Deliver oh, to get really? that. Trick. Yes. <laughs> is that the one with um? Is that the one with Kakulis or whatever? Yes. Okay, yes. that's the only scene I remember from that movie. I know the ones, the three, the ones, the twos, and the threes. <laughs> yep. Uh, but we get uh, this thing from Sai because it turns out he just liked to run away from people who were trying to get him to do all sorts of cool stuff, be their chief financial officer or whatever. Uh, you know, build up his mathematical ability so he would be valuable to the to the Nami Corporation, and he would just hide in the attic and play video games. And Ryusuke would approach him and be like, "Hey." Why not just do everything and have everything? Just desire everything. Play video games and make them and polish your math skills and become a math guy and take over the corporation. And Sai's like, no, I can't do all that. I just love games. I just want to program games. And Bruce would chase him around everywhere trying to get him to do a bunch of stuff. He's like, I want to make a race course. Use your math abilities to help me calculate the proper, the, the best lanes for a race course. And he's like, no, leave me alone. I don't want to be a mathematician. So he flew away to India. And he's like, I just want to program. I just want to code. But as he thinks about this in the present, he's you know imagining his laptop in front of him, having a good time. And then, of course, the laptop fades away. And it's just you know this undeveloped landscape in front of him from the world having decayed to ruin over the course of thousands of years. So he looks at Senku and he says, how long would it take for us to make like a modern day computer from right here? And Senku says, well, considering you know, the components you, we would need to create at best five years, maybe even 10. So Sai is like, why? Yeah. Why did you revive a guy like me when this is what I want to do? I mean, I, I look, what can I hope to achieve here? I'm a programmer. Uh, but, uh, and so when they think about it a bit more, they're like, yeah, so the situation could evolve in such a way where we need someone ready to respond and calculate at top speed for 24 hours straight. We could find plenty of others to help with the manual calculations, but we'd still be treading on thin ice. So Sai is allowed to have, have to come onto the ship and just have a room to himself and just have some time to it himself. And so he's thinking like, God, that long without a computer, what, like, what should I even do in the meantime? I can't code at all for all this time. But then he thinks a bit more. He's like, no, who says I can't code? And he picks up some blank crayons. And uh, when people go to check on him, he's been scrawling numbers and letters on all the walls of his room. Hyperspeed going through and 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 writing out in code. And uh, but he when they, he sees that, he, that they come in, he's like, oh, no, stop it. No, it's not done. But then he explains, yeah, I figured, you know, even if there are no computers in the meantime, I could jot down some code to use for later. Uh, but of course, no one else can even understand or comprehend what he's writing code for. And they're like, what, what is this? And he says, this is code for Dragon Quest. <laughs> Japan's <go>. favorite game. 
They love it. I'm playing through the new Yakuza right now, and the main character hallucinates every like street brawl as Dragon Quest. They can't get enough of it, and honestly, I wish I loved anything as much as they love Dragon <laughs> Quest. I'm sure every movie based on it is great. So, um, <laughs> but uh, Ryusui is impressed by this. He's like, "Oh, so you're saying that no matter how primitive the machine, you're coding could create a whole universe inside a computer?" And Sai says, "That's right. That's what coding is all about." So Senku says, okay then, change of plans. Sai, with your superior skills, will wage this war with an old throwback computer. If you can make an NES, you can make a rocket fly. It is humanity's tech singularity, the ultimate apex of scientific crafting. The stone world is getting a computer. Punch cards. We're going back to punch card computers, baby. Yeah, that's where things were fun, you know? Yeah, you know, computers that took up entire rooms. It was great. It was perfect. <laughs> to take us back to Magic the Gathering, uh, the game was created by Richard Garfield, a doctor of mathematics, and the game itself is actually Turing Complete, which I am too stupid to explain completely, but the, uh, the, the idea of Turing Completeness is essentially that it's like a system which can uh, recognize other data and, like, incorporate it like a programming language like once again i'm a fucking idiot i can't explain this well you can google turing completeness but basically magic the gathering's rules are so well made and locked together that they are like a computer Tur oh. you know, alan turing obviously is like father of computing so, oh i thought you said alan turdick and i was like i mean he's a great actor but <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> alan tudick yeah i was like was he is he making like fucking math and shit you know, in between all of his Disney voice roles, he's just like, eh. God. Hey. You know, they, they made a movie. I think Cumberbatch played him. The British government yes. Yes. melted his testicles, unfortunately. Aww. Benedict yeah, Cumberbatch? That's what you get for inventing the computer. <laughs> yeah, they did that to Benedict Cumberbatch. I feel like you should say no to that role if they're like, yeah, we need to make this real. <laughs> Look, it's got very method, okay? <laughs> Uh, I like the direction that this chapter takes more than just we need someone who's good at math. Yes. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's nice. a better. I like... Good. I love his hands. He has great hands. They're very cool. And he's drawing on the walls. That was sick. And then obviously the big dragon was very sick. I love the art in this. Oh yeah. And it wasn't even that horny, which is uh, different for Doctor Stone. Sometimes it gets there. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Mashal Magic and Muscles Chapter. 71 mash burned it and the origin of the great magic user so i was so excited you've been talking this uh, up for like years You're like oh austin you should read mashal it's so funny it's laugh a minute i'm busting my gut over here man you gotta read i can't this. stop so coming comical. from all the jokes it's great yeah <laughs> <laughs> so I sat down to read chapter 67. I got my laughing pants on. I'm ready. Uh, well, it does open with a joke because last time Mash uh, came into the air, it struck uh, Innocent Zero in the face. And I questioned at the time, I was like, how did Mash get up here? Aren't they flying? And we see the answer to that is he's just kicking his legs really hard. And no one ever addresses it <laughs> throughout the entire chapter. He no. is fluttering and uh, no one calls attention to it. <laughs> No, there's one character who goes ellipses when looking at him, but that's literally yeah. it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Wahlberg has the whole thing, like, what are you doing here? He's here for you! And Mash is just like, yeah, it was where he used to be kind to my elders. And there's another little joke where Wahlberg's like, what, am I just like an old man crossing the street to him? <laughs> uh, but Instant Zero actually has to be, like, serious and stuff for a little bit, so he, uh, 
explains that he can reconfigure his body to steal other people's magic. That's how he acquired dark magic, and now he has taken uh, Wahlberg's space magic. Mash pulls him out of it, but uh, it's too late. Now he has spaces bound, and we see a, a gigantic uh, attack that just rips straight through a bunch of mountainsides near the area and does a lot of damage. And, uh, <laughs> fuck you, Austin. <laughs> oh, this chapter's funny. You're wrong. <laughs> it, does, it, does, like, the, it does, like, the big zoom away of all the damage, and then cuts to a full-page spread of ash. just goes, darn. <laughs> It's such a weird thing to give a full page to. I love it. It's such a weird use of space. Uh, but he's like, yes, he took my magic. He's too strong. And Innocent Zero's like, yes, I need this power for the world. And Mash, it's your body next. I will take that. And Mash tries to kick him, but uh, he escapes kind of just in time before the darkness would hurt him. And he's like, yes, you felt it. The overwhelming difference of power between us. I'm taking you back. And then uh, Mash like turns his head because Innocent Zero starts like going like, oh, they explain that his magic power is greater than his body can handle. This is why he needs those vessels like Mash. So he says, ah, oh, this means nothing. You are but an ingredient, your only purpose to elevate me to a higher being. Wahlberg's like, this is simply your ego. He has a right to decide the course of his life. And uh, Innocent Zero says, the course of your life, a human without magic will never be able to live in this world. And uh, then he basically uses a big space attack. Mash jumps and pushes Wahlberg out of the way, saves him. Uh, but they use that basically as an opportunity to get out of here. Uh, Mash gives him like one little goodbye thing like, yeah, that's all the reason I need to beat your magic with my muscles. Then the world will accept me. And... Uh, then Innocent Zero has He's to... being very serious in this moment, but if you like repl- if you just replace the dialogue with anything else, you would think that it was, you know, not a serious moment at all, because he's just kind of going, eh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh Innocent Zero goes back to Hueco Mundo, the rest of the sky <laughs> closes back up around him, basically. Uh, and he says, We'll finish this later. Uh assuming this doesn't get you first. And I don't remember if they ever gave a name to these things, but the monsters that were attacking the school have all kind of fused together into one gigantic super monster, and that seems to be where we're leaving off. It's very ugly. Yes. Ah, it looks pretty kissable. It's got well, a lot of mounts. It's got a lot of mounts. <laughs> and it's got chains. So get a little bit freaky. That's just too. fashion. Yeah. Where are its straps, though? That is true. It could be a lot cooler. It could have a bunch of straps. And, uh... and there's so many heads. It could have a strap over every single head. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a lot, maybe that's, of, a lot of waste potential there. Yeah. <laughs> this chapter's okay. I, I thought it was fine. I thought it was a little bit funny. I don't know. Austin's uh, fucking standards of comedy are apparently so much higher. You hype me up so much. I was, I'm sorry. I'm going to send was... you a better chapter next time. I was gonna get nine one one on speed dial in case I couldn't <laughs> breathe from all the laughing, and then I read it, and I was like, that's yeah, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Oh. Right. <laughs> Let's get going on. The Elusive Samurai, Chapter 25, Divine Power, 1334. So we open with uh, where we left off last time. Ashikaga had just drawn a Buddha on the wall, but there was something that was apparently sinister about it. We find out what that is this time. We are introduced to his younger brother, Ashikaga Tadayoshi. 
and we get a nice big proper introduction to who he is and what their relationship is and stuff. And we get this explanation that because Tadayoshi works together with his brother uh, and he's like, yeah, you know, so we're going to do this. Ashikaga mentions, I want you to go to Kamakura and strengthen his defenses. And Tadayoshi says, oh, your intuition, huh? And Takaji's like, yeah, I've just got a hunch that the remaining Hojo are going to rebel against us. So I want to go there. So uh, Tadayoshi's like, yeah, your intuition is often correct. And we see like this little flashback back to their childhoods where Tadayoshi uh, spent all this time designing a code with a puzzle uh, for Takaji to solve. And Takaji's like, oh, a treasure hunt, huh? Okay, I'm going to start by checking under the floor in Moronao's room, and which was the place that he had hidden it, but he didn't even look at the code or all, anything. He just, you know, instinctively knew where it was. And Takaji's like, oh, we're so hard on that code. And Takaji in the presence is like, yeah, sorry, I ruined your fun. <laughs> but they established that the two brothers have very different skills. Takaji has this just very intrinsic instinct to just know what to do but Tadayoshi has analytical ability he's got proper intelligence to think things through and figure out the best strategy to approach stuff it's kind of like you and me Nick one of us is super intelligent and the other one of us is just dumb luck that just kind of gets through (laughs) now which one of us is which I'm not gonna say Uh, so um, we both both know the answer though (laughs) I'm not gonna say so (laughs) they um uh Established over that, like, they've got a very good relationship. They get along really well as brothers, despite the fact that they have these very different skill sets and personalities. Uh, and at that moment, Takaji's like, oh, oh, hey, Tadayoshi, come into my room. I drew another Buddha. And Tadayoshi gets this kind of look in his eyes, like, oh, boy, here we go. And uh, so Takaji leads him into his room. He's like, I love Buddhas. Looking at them just fills my heart. Check this out. And Tadayoshi looks at the dude and he says, you know, Takaji, uh, I've just acquired some Kitayama setter. Uh, that would be perfect for the walls in this room. So, uh, you know, I'll give you the setter for this room. And uh, maybe I have in exchange this exquisite illustration. OK, that sounds fun. Just to take good care of that Kamakura place I told you about. And Tadayoshi oh, left himself. Do we call out the fact that he pronounced cedar as setter? Yeah, <laughs> I thought about it and I was like, there's no reason to be mean. <laughs> I'm so sorry that I've been exposed for my complete lack of wood knowledge. <laughs> it's just like the time that I said that the desk was made of mahogany. Look, so. Fuck, that was so good. <laughs> I felt you, buddy. We were in the cockpit together. <laughs> it was when he said it the second time the same way. I was like, like, oh, I can't. I watched my favorite movie, Wee Lao. So. <laughs> oh, no. We all, yeah, we all fuck up on time to time. Talking into <laughs> now, I, now I think I, I, did, I, I, full I, disclosure, I did see that word when I was reading through this and I was like, is it cedar or setter? And I was just like, so. <laughs> now I feel like I might change my opinion about which one of us is the smart sibling. I've only ever seen it written down. <laughs> that's the test to get into mensa they just give you a piece of paper that says how do you pronounce this <laughs> oh stupid meanwhile i would have fucked up katayama so it's it's really it's a d- different world <laughs> I guess 
Oh yeah, good job, Nick. Nailing that Japanese word, but you don't know how <laughs> cedars. <laughs> All right. So anyway, <laughs> so Tadayoshi, uh, kind of just like after his brother leaves, gets this look on his face, like, oh, God damn it, this happened again. And uh, he's thinking to himself, Takauji's like seemed inhuman recently. His his intuition is even sharper than before, but it seems like there's something else going on as well. And he calls an attendant in and he says, keep the Buddha, burn the rest. Takauji's devotees must never see it. And he thinks to himself, I don't know if my brother has noticed, but the Buddha's that he draws are only something to feed upon. And we see that all that stuff in shadow that we've seen that was surrounding the Buddha over the last couple of chapters is this gigantic, demonic, multi-eyed maw that is apparently going to swallow this thing that he was like, look at the Buddha I drew. And he just, for whatever reason, didn't seem to notice it. So that's uh, what's going on there. So it's the, Given that this also, we've seen uh, Takauji occasionally drawn with multiple eyes or irises and pupils inside of his eyeball, um, it seems like it may be related to that somehow. And given that the last chapter and this one focus on the actual otherworldly things happening in this universe, maybe there's more going on to him than we were initially led to believe. Uh we we get the little narration saying in less than 18 months, the two brothers who stood on top of the world would clash with Hojo Tokuyuki. So I think that's kind of why we're getting that countdown. The you know years progressing forward is that there is a time that they are going to clash. Uh, we see cut over to uh, Yorishige and Tokuyuki who are talking. Uh, Tokuyuki says like, yeah, this whole thing happened with Shizuku and she gave me this water. By the way, someone pointed out to us, uh, or Ninja relayed to us, that people have pointed out that apparently Shizuku was walking on water uh, in the previous chapter. So, magic. Um, but Tokyo asks, like, uh, just what the hell, hell happened back there and stuff? And Yurishige says, okay, well, Shizuku's got her own stuff going on. Someday she'll, she'll tell you about that. But, okay, I've got my divine power back now. Wah! I think. Um, and she says... Or rather, Yoshige says, so the divine beasts that you saw are manifestations of sacred power, which exists where human eyes cannot see. And Tokiyuki's like, I don't know what that means. And so he says, well, think about yourself for a minute. If the world becomes crowded and people come under greater surveillance one day, an influential elite like you would be unable to exist. And we get this shot of like a modern day Tokiyuki trying to hide himself from cameras and stuff. It's a very weirdly drawn picture, but Tokiyuki is drawn weirdly sometimes. I'll just leave it at that. But he says powers like this dwindle, though, uh, as people gain the right to own land, their attachment to it grows, their dominion expands. And the more the humankind spreads itself, the powers and places that are yet unseen retreat further. Mysteries such as this one lose their mystery. And he leaves Tokiyuki out onto this frozen riverbed and he just touches his fingertips to the surface of the of the ice and it causes this massive crevice in the ice to break leading far off away from them and Tokyuki is like oh my god you split the ice like that what the hell and Yorishige says in this day and age people say that the famed god's crossing is caused by the god Suomyojin 
But as more people observe it, they'll come to see it as a natural phenomenon. In other words, as human strength grows, divine power fades. When people see only crude reality, the gods and their powers vanish. So goes the flow of time. And uh, so Tokyuki gets a thoughtful look on his face and he's like, does that mean that you are going to disappear someday? But Yoroshige is like, oh, my power is back. My divine power is great and undying. And he's all glowing and weird looking when he says this. But he gets more serious again after this and says, this is the last hour era, rather, in which invisible powers play a role. The perfect time for your abilities. You are immortal. You are not a god. So you must live each day to the fullest. The place where you frolic now may someday melt away so make the most of this topsy-turvy time but this is the loose samurai and sometimes it ends chapters weirdly uh <laughs> so at that point Tokiki's like okay but i need you to clean up for something for me and so he basically makes yorishiga go out with all the stuff that Tokiki gathered that made everyone think he's a pervert and they're like ah. Uh, Yorishige is the pervert, and he made our great lord gather all that stuff for him. What an awful person. So, it's everything bad, worked out. He's a bad ombre. It's had a great structure. The first half with, like, the ominous rising danger. The second half with, like, the contemplative, poetic, you know, reflection on the nature of mystery. And then just ending on a joke. It's great. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> there you go. It's everything Austin wants. I thought that I was a fun it. chapter. I love this chapter. I really love the conversation Tokiyuki and Yorishige have about, you know, people, you know, rely more on, you know, the stuff that they can't understand. But then that actually literally loses its capabilities as people are like, oh, no, science. So it's interesting. And it's kind of one of those things that, like, structures it in a way that makes me even as an agnostic person goes like, yeah, I kind of buy that as opposed to whatever mystical hubu-jubu bullshit. So... It's very Nietzschean. It's like, you know, the, the the modernity killed God. And I mean, I jumped on the Discord to, to talk to, you know, read people what we're saying about the Buddha reveal because I wasn't sure of all the implications of it. I'm not really well read in Buddhism. Um, but it, to me, it read as, uh, you know, like the end of The Shining where he's been writing his novel the whole time. But when other people look at it, it just says all, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy over and over and over while he thinks it's a regular story. Um, that's like the, the reveal to me. And I thought that was really cool. And then, yeah, the the second half ending on the joke was very strong. So great yeah. stuff all around. Really good. All right, let's move on to Black Clover real quick here. Page 300, Beyond Tenacity. So Gaja did his big attack last time and uh, failed, and uh, he's pretty fried. Uh, Mejikula congratulates him on what he did, uh, but unfortunately it did not work. Her body is under the protection of an ultra-high speed recovery curse. And uh, the fact that she says ultra high speed just makes, makes me made me think like, OK, that completely takes all of the all of the momentousness out of this. It's an uber quick spell. You can't counter it. You can't mm-hmm. beat my elite regeneration hacks. Uh, so things look bad. Uh, everyone is down except for Noel. Noel tries to use Saint Stage, but the, the curse ward uh, spells are, are, are eating, literally eating away at her. And uh, Medjugula gives actually a pretty cool speech. Uh, if we had more time, I might go through it more individually. But basically, she's just like, you continue to struggle. I don't get why a couple of you people have, you know, stood against me before for different reasons, like the love of your children or the loyalty to your others. But you're fighting for a hope that doesn't even exist. Why don't you just give up? And Noel goes through an equally also pretty good speech about, like, 
you know, it's basically we have to keep fighting. Uh, so I'm I'm, te- I'm terrified, but I have to persevere. Yeah. So. Uh, Metricula is less like eh, fascinating, but I can't waste more time. I'm gonna make her explode now and kill everybody. <laughs> uh, and Noel is gonna try to stop her, but she can't do anything. She reaches her arm out. But on reaching her arm out, she literally is tagged in as Asta slides in, surfs in on his sword, which I always forget he does, and then pokes Lola Pachika in the belly with his magic canceling sword and solves the problem. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. And it ends the chapter. And I'll be honest, I know, I feel like every human being who read this series, I should say every human being, because there's some people who genuinely love Black Clover with all their heart. Anyone who's ever been like Black Clover has bad moments and part of the problem is with Asta had the exact same moment where they were into this chapter, into this chapter, and then Asta surfboards on a sword into the scene. And everyone was like, ah, this again. <laughs> um, that said, I actually love this chapter. I think this chapter is phenomenal. I love the speeches. I actually kind of like Asta coming in and saving the day because the whole chapter is about like the only people who've really ever stood up to Lolo, uh, to Medjakula before have been these various different relationships. Acacia doing it for her children, Raja doing it for his queen. It makes sense that Noel and Asta's relationship is like the other kind of major chip group in this would uh, get kind of a moment here. The only real issue I have with it is Asta can skate into a seat and suck all the drama out of it by poking someone with a sword, but that's <laughs> that's the problem that Black Clover is just going to have forever. It, Black Clover seems like the most 5 out of 10 manga series. It's like the most <laughs> exactly what it is. Yes. Like, I read this right after Magu Chan too, which did a similar. It's like, but lowly humans, I am so powerful. Like it was like almost parodying this exact kind of setup. So reading it afterward just made me like heave a <laughs> sigh and just being like, yeah, I forgot, man. Manga's like this sometimes. <laughs> All right. Like honestly, I think I had more fun with the weird cheesecake and Eden Zero and the weird foot stuff in there than this. I, this is you guys don't do worst chapter, but if you did, this is probably my. Uh, I mean, I'm not invested in these characters. Maybe it's great for you, but to me, this is just like everything I don't like about Shonen. Okay. So apparently, uh, Asta losing uh, his big climactic battle with the uh, member of the triad that he had, you know, history with, meant that he had to go and steal Noel's. So and this is the moment that I've been not looking forward to for approximately two months. So the fact that it happened and that it happened so makes it easy. It's just. Can we just do Black Clover without Asta? Can we just try and do it for like a year? Just a year. No Asta. Just give it a try one time. It's bullshit. All right. Let's move on. All right. Let's talk about another fight, I guess. <laughs> just uh, an average run of the mill, not interesting fight. Nothing yep. supremely cool happens. Frankie had a fight. Okay. So, best chapter in MVP. Let's go over that. <laughs> I don't know. Is there anything else noteworthy that happens that I should talk about? Because I could just go back and talk about how Asta took out his sword and poked the thing that solves everything instead. He also surfboard in on another sword, so you can give him that. Try Sarah Copter. Try Sarah Copter. And then on the other hand, he was taking out his third sword and he was just masturbating it. Like, oh, no. I what I love about this chapter 
is at no point do they ever explain why being a uh, triceratops would allow him to spin his frill around and fly. It is never explained. It is never given a context. You're telling me this line of dialogue doesn't clear it up? Is that how dinosaurs work? (laughs) There's literally a member of Kaido's crew who is a cyborg dinosaur and could do things like this. And this is not that character. (laughs) Chapter 1019, Heliceratops. Um, Sanji is fighting with Queen. Chopper and the doctor people are helping out with Chopper's doctoring. Yep, we all know the song. (laughs) There's a moment where they're like, where Zoro's like, why don't you take the bandages off before you inject me with this thing? And they're like, oh, is that why the the needle's going in so deep? Okay. So, yeah, they're professionals. It's all right. Trust them. Uh, Out on the sea, Luffy is still asleep and passed out inside of the submarine. Uh, and they're like, oh, man, get some, give him some pills. Give him an injection. What should we do? And Luffy just wakes up and goes, meat! Which, yeah, I mean, yeah, this makes, it makes sense. Uh, inside the Skull Dome, Frankie has Frankie's biggest problem with fighting uh, Sasaki, which is that, you know, he's got the Iron Legion interfering in it. Uh, well, because they've all kind of turned on each other because of uh, the dumpling, the Mila dumplings. Uh, Frankie's free to just have a one-on-one fight with Sasaki so good for him Uh, Frankie's like man this guy's tough I swear I've dealt the finishing blow a couple times already stop kicking out of my finisher bro (laughs) so uh, but Sasaki's like get out of my my way Uh, he takes his beast man form so he's got uh, he's got this weird serrated katana thing uh, uh, with him and it's his screw sword because it's got like a bunch of razor blades sticking out of the sides, which start to spin around, which I don't know if that would make it cut better or if it would just like leave weird, nasty gashes on people. So um, Frankie, Frankie is ready for him, but then his frill starts spinning around like a helicopter, as you have indicated. And yeah, Frankie's just like, is that how dinosaurs work? Because he's never studied paleontology because he was too busy making machines. Uh, and the push is it I'm paleontology in- what it's scientifically known that dinosaurs exist in this world and characters have met them before <laughs> look if you don't if you didn't have model dinosaurs as a kid then you don't know how dinosaurs work even if you live with them <laughs> <laughs> so sasaki starts rushing forward while flying through the air uh and he's just going to like break up the mob and it's really weird because, like, he's got his sword, but then he just uses the rotating rotors to cut them instead because, unbelievably, having a fan blade around your neck that you're using to fly makes it kind of difficult to swing your sword. <laughs> <laughs> so he breaks up the mob, and then he actually swings the sword at at, at Frankie. And uh, Frankie's like, what the hell? This guy's, like, flying and is really mobile. I, this is absurd. Uh, and then, <laughs> uh, the guy revs up and Sasaki goes backwards, uh, as he, as Frankie prepares his shield. Uh, so he's like, oh, what the hell? He just rotated the propeller the wrong way and went to reverse on accident, didn't he? And <laughs> Sasaki's like, yeah, I need space to charge you. And Ch- Frankie's like, no, you didn't. You just made a stupid mistake. <laughs> He's really insistent on this point. But then he, but Sasaki's like blushing when he says this. Like, no, 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 I need more room for, for a bigger charge. 
He launches himself at Frankie, uh, digs into the shield, and Frankie's like, oh no, my shoulder-loaded rockets are going to be set But then he counters this by using a general suplex to to smash uh, Sasaki's head into the ground. And he's like, oh, you might be done for. Your stomach wound's bleeding really bad. But now you're done. I'm going to use my Franken-sword V for victory, Flash! And Sasaki just flies out of the ground over it, so he dodges it. (laughs) And and Peggy's like, stop it! I'm not actually good at sword And then Sasaki just uses his screw sword to cut the blade in half. So he's like, oh, man, that's it. It's time for my ultimate last resort. And he turns and runs away. (laughs) Oh, Sasaki rushes after him in another big bullet triceratops charge. But Frankie's like, I'm all set. Here's my gown cannon portable version. And he fires a huge general cannon to Sasaki, who just eats the blow and keeps on coming after him. Uh, and he's like, if I have to take both of us out, so be it. Magnum Triceratops. And he launches himself forward into Frankie, digs into the General Frankie. But Frankie has abandoned ship, escaped out of it, and just launches his radical beam from a different angle straight up into Sasaki's stomach. And that seems to take Sasaki out. His eyes go all white and no, no pupils. So... Looks like uh, the first of the Toby Rapo may have been. Uh, well, no, wait. That's like the fourth, technically, at this point. If, assuming I, that Ulti had page one or down. Beaten, right? Right? Jimbe beat. Jimbe beat who was who last week? Is he? I, is, right? I, yeah, well, that, the, the, the implication is that he was defeated. Okay. So, uh, yeah. But uh, the things are definitely progressing in these uh, Straw Hat Toby Rapo fights pretty mm. quickly now. But that's not the end of the chapter. We cut to the roof of the of Onigashima where Yamato and Kaido are battling. And Kaido says, I recognize your value as a soldier. Is But Yamato's like, oh, is that what his father's supposed to say? So Kaido berates Yamato saying, I worked hard to acquire that devil fruit. I never intended for you to eat it. And Yamato says, I was hungry. I didn't know that would happen either. <laughs> which is, you know, kind of another little parallel between himself and Luffy uh, that's been going on. And Yamato's, but Yamato says, you know, kind of brings home something that isn't really commented on, except in moments of, oh no, they're going to drown of the actual curse of eating a devil fruit, because he says, I wanted to sail out to sea, and because I ate that fruit, I can't even swim anymore. So, yeah, it sucks for him. But he says, I tried to kill you more times than I can count, and more times than I can count, you beat me down, but it made me stronger. Those cuffs were the only thing keep me here on this island. If I don't fight for the sake of this country, then I can't call myself Odin. Which is a cool line, but also we see that Yamato has apparently unleashed his Devil Fruit ability and is in some sort of Beastman form, um, which looks... I don't know if this is exactly what it is, but it looks vaguely like a little bit cubish based on what we can see of, uh, of a tail and like there's flames coming out of, uh, out of his neck, out of his hair. Well, we know Catalina, Catalina Devon ate the, uh, nine tails, like the QB fruit. So sure. I, I think some people have theorized this, what a Kalin or something like that. It's like a Chinese dragon. Yeah. The, it has different pronunciations to be Quillen or Kyren. It's like a, it's basically like a stag dragon or like a unicorn dragon, depending on the, yeah, it's very cool. It's that shitty legendary so, from X and Y. 
<laughs> you're talking about Xerneas? Yeah. The fucking lame-ass fucking deer dragon thing. It would definitely match the uh, flames coming out of the uh, the joints and the arms and legs. Uh, so, but we'll, I'm sure we'll get confirmation sooner rather than later. The one thing that I have to say about this is that I think that it makes Yamato's face look kind of stupid. Um, but oh yeah, well. it's not kind of it's not the best. I, I mean, if a person turning an ant into an animal would look kind of stupid. <laughs> like, I feel like. What are you talking about? Yeah, Sasaki dude. turned into a triceratops. And it was awesome all week. No, you got me there. I'm fucking owned. Never mind. I retract my statement and then resign in shame. You got me. Also, how'd you feel about this character? Now you got to see the character that Big Star was inspired off of. I mean, I've seen Frankie before. I haven't obviously gotten there. My, my, I'm watching the One Piece anime for the audience, so I'm. But why I'm aren't you here yet? You've only got another five, <laughs> seven hundred episodes to go. Uh, I'm going. There's just so much of it. I don't know. All the characters in One Piece obviously are super cool. Yamato is super cool. Frankie super cool. Sasaki is super cool. It's all. It's just a very cool series. So, I mean, I feel like it's how can you top the Triceracopter? You can't. It's foolish to try. All right. Okay. With that, so, let's let's talk about if anyone can can do that. We're gonna go to MVPs and favorite series of the week. Oh boy! I said in the Discord that I wanted to make my MVP Sangrafage, the three three for two <laughs> zombie that Hajime uses very often and uh, destroy all humanity. But I don't know if that's within the rules to, <laughs> to pick from the recommendation for the character of the week. Uh, Ninja if will I... Ninja will sass you if you do, but. He won't stop you. You're free. You're free to pick whatever you want. If if I to play by the rules, I mean it's Sasaki. It's obviously the Triceracopter. It's just a baller ass character, <laughs> and it's like once in a lifetime to get to see something this incredible. What was the other line? There was another line where he said something like, "This is what Triceratops do," and I was like, "I guess if you just say it, no one can." It's your world. Oh fuck! Where was that? So stupid. I love this. I, I, I do enjoy because they there there was specifically a one piece character built who had hair he could spin to fly and they never gave him a full fight and he just lost and I was like did Oda come up with an idea for how Buffalo should have fought like four hundred chapters after that fight happened he's like yeah fuck it the Triceratops just does it now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Frankie says, I wasn't expecting an air battle. And Sasaki says, this is what a Triceratops does. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, sick, awesome. Uh, all right, so my series of the week, I think, is going to be The Leals of Samurai. Again, a uh, bunch of different things in one chapter that were all really good. My MVP is going to be it's going to be Elira for doing, giving us the rarest of gifts, which is hero uh, girls taking their clothes off. Cause I mean, you know, uh, Oh no. <laughs> yeah. My actual, my actual MVP is uh, going to uh, be Psy from Dr. Stone. I really like his whole focus mm -hmm. on, I really like programming because you can make, you know, an entire world just with numbers and letters. It's, it's very, it's very neat. So, uh, my favorite character this week was the feet and narrow. They were really, uh, no, it's going to be Frankie. Cause Frankie is dope. I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. I also really liked Ruru in, uh, in, uh, Maguchan, but, um, I'm really salty about the Uneris things so that kind of ruined it for me. So, uh, awesome. honestly, Magu might be my favorite chapter. If I'm being honest yeah. with myself, I, I think the actual, tr the, the, tr the emotional arc it went on and how fucking cute all the characters are. That might've been my most enjoyment. Cause in one piece, 
there was non-Sasaki content, <laughs> which drags it down, I feel like. <laughs> so that's my MVP character, obviously. But I think Magu is actually, like, hits per minute. It's, like, just bangers all the way down, if I'm honest with myself. Well, the audience agreed with you. It was the audience chapter of the week, and uh, Fuko won their character of the week. Uh, my chapter of the week, by the way, is Black Clover. It's not a joke. <laughs> Fucking fight me. It was a great chapter. No, you, you, be brave. Stand up for yourself. I'm going to. This is I'm going like, to listen uh, to that Sarah Barella song. T- time to show you all how big my brave is. This is kind of like um, if we had a, a bit where, um, you know, the, the, the thing that happens in screwball kids comedies where, like, you know, there's there's the there's the pet that's causing all sorts of trouble or whatever. And so there's the person who's like really working hard on their art. They're, they're a struggling artist and they've spent months working on their thing that's going to finally be their masterpiece. But then the, the troublesome pet tracks paint paws all over it or <laughs> splatters paint everywhere all over it. And people are like, oh, no, it's ruined. But then the artist comes in and is like, oh, it's brilliant. It's it's unlocked something that that I couldn't have done all on my own. That's like how you are with Black Clover versus how I am with Black Clover. <laughs> It's like, Hearing oh, that, that acid twist was garbage. And you're like, nah, it's great. <laughs> yeah. He- Hearing that the audience liked Fuko so much does make me, it gives me pause because it is so rare for one of these series to just have a couple, like the main couple who just love each other and are like open about it. That is really refreshing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I should appreciate that more. So yeah, I'm thankful for that perspective. Uh, Undead Unluck is great. Just uh, skip the first uh, eight chapters or so. <laughs> the first eight chapters are very problematic. <laughs> Uh, this is a lot of fun. Well, thank, thank you. you, Austin. Before you go, yes. let people know where they can find you. I'm very easy to find. I just use my name everywhere, and it's a weird Ukrainian name, so no one else has it really. Austin Yorsky, Y O R S K I. You can find that on Twitter, Austin Yorsky, Patreon.com slash Austin Yorsky. It's Austin Yorsky all the way down. Just just type it into Google, see what happens. Yeah. Just maybe look at some of the results, see how it makes you feel. Sex with animals. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> skip some of those results <laughs> all right well where can they find is... what 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 content do you do you do a podcast don't you uh, oh you're making me do professional plugs yeah right? a late night show conan over there let's do it a string dance yeah yeah both nick and chris have been on my show dice funk it's an actual play tabletop uh comedy drama i don't know we play D and we make boner jokes it's not that it's not that deep uh it's a lot of fun uh our new season has a lot of uh Great stuff going on. You should check it out. You just start from episode one, the latest season. You don't need to go back to earlier seasons. I mean, Chris is in the new season for a bit. Uh, Chris is in a lot of the earlier seasons too. There's a lot of Chris content. Nick's on uh, one shots. It's it's dice funk. Yeah, you gotta go. You gotta go for the uh, the uh, special archives for the stuff that they allowed me in the, through the door on. So you know, it's <laughs> too hot for TV stuff. Um, compared <laughs> to the main line, no. Uh, yeah, no, that's true. We get we get wet and wild on the show sometimes. I I'm not the one. Listen, there's a lot of people I can't control on the show, and they they go places. So, it's uh, Dungeons and Dragons, but it's not the traditional stereotypical stuff. We do a lot of uh, you know, deconstruction, a lot of nerd ass thinking about politics, and you know, also it's very funny. It's a funny show. So yeah. that's it. There's at least one scene that I ruined with a fart joke at one point, so, you know. 
<laughs> at least, at least one. <laughs> I I just remember there was a plot point we had to get get through a door or something, and I was just like, I don't know. My character cuts the loudest fart possible <laughs> as a distraction. Yes. And that roll. was like the second to last episode as you were like storming the villain's castle too. It was so near the climax was that you started the, farting. It was just the moment where I was like, what do I do here? And I just went with the old default. Like, oh, the character is an old man. He cuts the loudest, oldest part he can, right? And solve the problems. Yeah, Chris, I mean, you've done some genuinely incredible work on that show. If it feels weird, I know you hate compliments, but like Chris is one of the greatest artists of our generation. I, I assume you can hear that on Dice Funk. In my mind, I'm like, he's talking about Chris Evans. That's how I'm able to let it go by. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatever you have to tell yourself, bud. Uh, great. Okay. Now, a lot of fun. <laughs> well, thank you, Austin, for showing up for this uh, and for bringing your Magic the Gathering references that uh, made me realize, like, oh, I guess I don't actually understand Magic any better after reading this manga about it. Uh, and uh, for those of us who are listening to the podcast and want to find out more stuff about us, you can follow us on Twitter at NickFTime and at RoloT for your hosts. The official podcast account is at WMR Podcast on Twitter. We will let you know through there when the show starts recording, which we do Wednesdays, roughly around 7.30 Eastern time in the evening. But sometimes... Like tonight, things go a little bit different. So if you want to get an exact time that'll happen, you can do that. You can join us on Twitter there or by our Discord server where a lot of st great stuff happens. We've made a lot of references to it throughout this episode. It's a great community. They do uh, bi-weekly gaming nights as well as discuss the chapter, uh, discuss uh, the series that we are going to talk about, uh, all sorts of stuff. Damn it. I forgot to pick out a recommendation for work that we're going to work on. Uh, join us on the Discord to find out what it is very shortly after this. Damn it. Uh, so <laughs> oh, no. Uh, Do you want me and Austin to riff for like a moment? You could just pick something out real quick. Now this. <laughs> um, beyond that, you can also uh, check us out on YouTube. Uh, YouTube.com slash Week Manga Recap will have the video version of the show where you can also find the, you see the opening as done by uh, Milo Jack Stillis and Winsley Dale Cheddar. You can also see the tile cards done by Steve Mann, whose work you can check out wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet. Just look for Steve Mann. He's also got a Patreon, patreon.com slash Steve Mann. And uh, we also would like to thank everyone who supports us on our own Patreon, patreon.com slash Weekly Manga Recap, for allowing us to bring bonus content for you guys to enjoy. And uh, lastly, to Ninja X3i, who does all sorts of stuff to help us, you know, um, Make sure that we like do things by making it snow. If Ninja hadn't suggested, like, you should have Austin on the Match Gathering episodes, like, oh, I guess like, I probably should, right? Like, <laughs> I'm an idiot. Like, it was legitimately only because Austin had brought up people suggested. I was like, that's actually a pretty good idea. Uh, and uh, also Ninja organizes all of the stuff that we've been recommending in the past, uh, the the MVPs and stuff that we name each week so that we, you know, are so that we he can tell us later at the end of the year, this was the one that got the most votes. This is what the audience voted on. All sorts of fun stuff. And you can find that as well through the Discord server to check out the Google Doc that he maintains. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that is everything except for the series that I should probably pick out. But uh, I don't know if I have the time to do this. Uh. Well, let, let me and Austin riff for a moment. We're just going to go off on a random topic. Uh, we'll talk about zoos. Austin, how do you feel about zoos? I mean, it's sad that the animals are in jail. But All right, we need, a half, them. we need a happier topic. How do you feel uh -huh. about um, video games? 
uh, I bad feel increasingly bad. bad. Yeah, they make bad how they exploit their workers. Oh. How do you feel about uh, cars? Oh, the oil industry. Yeah. <laughs> All right, oh, cupcakes, no. asshole. How do you feel about cupcakes? Can you do something mean with those? Yeah, the sugar uh, industry exploits uh, the Caribbean nations. Uh, come on, there's only one thing we can talk about that's not problematic, which is of course the immortal science of Marxist-Leninism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no one can disagree, and it's uh, perfect. Perfectly All right. uh, pleasant. All right. You know what? I, I had an idea to do this, but it is in our recommendations list, so I'm going to go for it. We're going to read Alice in Borderland, which is Gantz, but not. So <laughs> I don't like the description of that. <laughs> slash Battle Royale, but not. And we're going to do it because I've been watching the Netflix series that it's based on it. So is it like super horny like Gantz was? And Not gross. As okay. All right. Well, then that's something to at least get a better start. Then. <laughs> well, I guess I get out of this one. Good luck. <laughs> Have fun with uh, that. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> All right. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>